Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Colton Collective Podcast. And before we begin, we have a very special guest. Oh, by the way, hello, Dave. Hi, <laughs> Ian. Yes, let's get to it. We're excited. We're in a bit of a rush hear. this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever we are. <laughs> and so we'll just get straight down to it. And now, reporting live from Gallifrey 21 in Los Angeles, California, it's Ramana 2. Hello, boys. Hello, Ramana. <laughs> In hey. the, still in the morning. Still in the morning. It's just gone about 14 past 11 now. There yes. you go. It feels, it feels weird to be doing this show, standing in a hotel lobby in another country, not wearing my pajamas. Oh. Sure well, there's no excuse for not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm actually wearing a corset at the moment. I had a wig. My costume. Photos well, are never happen. Up. An absolutely packed room, room here, hanging on your every word. So uh, we, yes. we know you've limited time. So uh, yep. do you want to? Oh, prompt me because I don't know where to begin. It's just been a full week on weekend, just full of just awesomeness, really. Um, one little random story I can tell. I was waiting in the line to get my morning tea at Starbucks, and I turn around and who's behind me? Graham Harper. Like hello, <laughs> and then I sat down. I sat down to have my breakfast, which is awesome, by the way, because I love their cream cheese in America. It tastes like cheesecake. And sits, he goes and sits right in front of me and starts reading the paper. It's just so surreal. And a friend of mine literally bumped into Tommy Knight, and she was dressed as the Fifth Doctor, and she was like, "Oh, sorry," and then she realized, "Oh," <laughs> and then he walked away. And, just and then you had to just sup her up with that. You just had to suffer yeah. up with the paper towel, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think she's she's more drooling over Georgia at the moment. Who, by my, I might add, is is looking absolutely amazing. She seems to be sporting the Amy Pond look, which means um very short skirts or very short shorts. Hmm. Not that I'm complaining, but um, no, no. I hear she smells good. I haven't met her yet. I saw her panel yesterday, which was amazing, and the live commentary she did on the. Friday, which was a substitute for, because unfortunately Sarah Sutton had to pull out due to a medical emergency last minute. Oh. Yeah, oh. her father is in hospital, which so oh, wish them all the very best. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? What else has happened? I went in the market. You had your phone, right? I had oh. what? 
And see, you have your photographic taken in front of the TARDIS, 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 TARDIS. Yes, I took my photo with the Colton shirts in front of the Paris TARDIS. I've met Tara, Lewis, Ken and James, and many, many other people. Have you met the other Lewis? Uncle Lewis is called to uh, Tara. Yes. Yes, Lewis, uh, Lewis Bailey. Uh-oh, I think we've lost Romana. We've lost... Uh-oh, we lost Romana. Well... Get bringing everybody in, just in case... We will move in. on, and uh, hopefully she will return very shortly. So, on with the show! And joining us in the collective today... Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello, <laughs> sir. And in the still-frozen north... Mr. Charlie P. 79. Hello, Charlie. Yes. Well, hopefully by the end of the week it will it'll be above freezing, but for now it is uh, still frozen. Yep. 39 degrees. Oh, 39 degrees on Friday. Wow. That's almost as warm as it is here. It's actually been cold in Florida, believe it or not. Anyway, moving swiftly on down the list before Romana pops back in. It's Mr. Quizmaster Randall Thor. Mike? He's going to try and play his clip. Play your clip. No, he's busy getting pie, I'm sure. We'll <laughs> come back to him. Also joining us is Mr. Tim Jury. Hello, Tim. Hello, and um, I'm glad we heard from Romana. It's giving me some idea what Gallifrey will be like, because hopefully that will be me next time, this time next year, I'm, ringing in. I'm I'm hoping it'll be me too, because I mean, even even the wife has been looking at the pictures on Facebook and goes, "That looks like a lot of fun." And she's only really a tenant fan. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell her it's a short bus ride away from the beach as well. Mike's back. Hey, Mr. Randall Thor, Quizmaster, has rejoined us. Yes, hello. Uh, does my game. Hello, everyone. Quizmaster <laughs> is here. And we'll allude to that a little later in the news, because that's very important news, because we have another reward to put on our uh-huh. illustrious uh, yeah. mantle. Yes. All right. Moving on down to the bottom of the list. It's the lovely little Howley T. Hello, Howley. Hello. <laughs> very good audio today. Yay. I'm on my phone again. Um... That's good. Uh, so that means if I really need some Jaffa cakes, you can bring them out to the hedge. <laughs> yep. Good. I'll good, be done in a minute when I've found some trousers. Okay. Oh, don't, oh. don't need to worry about the small details. <laughs> Cold out there. <laughs> I don't mind. I'll warm you up when you get here. Um, anyway, moving on since my son is in the room. All right. I think it's time to lower the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. Get smart on TV land. Section 3.6, the portable cone of silence. What? And Romana's back, right? I, 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 I do have to apologize. I was 
tried to do things in advance, and I unmuted Tiggs without saying, Hello, Tiggs Panther! Hi, Ian. How's it going? <laughs> I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> Ramal is back. Yes, but let me quick introduce the clone. Joining us is Adressa, Darth Skeptical, who is uh, um, untarnished by uh, tsunamis, which is a very good thing to hear. Um, we're glad to hear that you're safe, sir. And we're glad to see that you're here. Also joining us is DM Walling. Logan, hello Logan. Howley T, under the cone and out of the cone. She is tricky, you know. <laughs> Merlin McCarley, Cybob, and a little guest 18, who should be cleaning his room, but is uh, busy uh, listening to the show. You can clean and listen at the same time, son. Yes, that's my son listening. Anyway, that's everybody. And here's Ramana back. Hello, Ramana. Hello, guys, again. All right. Internet connections here is shoddy as best. <laughs> well, there's so many nerds in the lobby using it, I'm sure. It is. It's the only free out. internet in the yeah. hotel. It is. That's why. Um, so, All right. going from where I left off, I don't know where I left off, but yeah, I entered the masquerade last night, which was judged by Louise Page, and that was quite awesome. Me and my friends did a skit. We didn't win anything, but we got a good big reaction. It's all the skits. Um, hopefully, a video will be up of um, various um, of the skits and that. Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, I'm trying to see John Levine and Jaja Moss today. Um, that will be around 2:30. Um, what else is on today? Oh, there's a Graham Harper interview at 12. Yeah, I'm probably not going to go to that because it is a cosplay thing at 12. I don't know. We'll see how I feel. But um, I, I've already met him. He was buying his coffee and reading the paper right in front of me. So. <laughs> the, 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 the thing I found amusing was the fact that you took a picture of your hand by the, the Starbucks cup, commenting on the size, and just out of focus in the background, you could see Graham Harper reading his newspaper, yeah, and you didn't even mention it. Well, I she does. I she says her hand's bigger than coffee. Graham Harper. No, I just found the size of the coffee here just amazing because a, a small is the same size as my hand. And in Australia, that is about... An American small is about our large, so it's like insane. But anyway, <laughs> um, oh, I, I actually got to talk to Louise Page for a bit because um, just outside the cosplay registration in the morning, she had a book, her book of sketches and like like um, costume notes. And there was all of us kind of pouring over them, just kind of having like... Oh my goodness! Fangasm. <laughs> Fangasm, yes, pretty much. Um, and yeah, um, it's just been marvelous, really, the whole thing. Um, Ken Lewis and James have been great fun hanging out with. Um, James attempted to buy me and my friend drinks, but the champions closed before he could get there. And yeah, so um, <laughs> it's one a.m. here, and everyone's really annoyed at that. But um, other than that, it's been great. Much of the con is in the lobby, like um, many people have said, and that's where I spent, you know, nearly half the night. Went to the room party on Friday night, which was a lot of fun. Um, was it Saturday? Saturday? Friday? It was one of the nights, it all kind of blurs into one. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> what else? What else? Uh, I've got Pot Shock Live Tasting is at one. I will be there with my groupie sign. Um, they're going to be interviewing George Moffat, Tommy Knight, John Spay, a few others. Uh, Andrew um, Hayden Smith. Really, yeah, and for fear of dropping out, I'll just sum up pretty much just saying that it's just been absolutely amazing, and um, I recommend anyone who can come to come. It is one of the best cons I've ever been to. Everyone is super friendly, and it's actually not that large. 
there's only about 1,500 people here, and for an American convention and the hotel besides, you really feel like you can see everything without, like, getting crushed by people, and it's just everyone helps everyone, and it's just lots and lots and lots of fun. Can you tell us what outfit you're wearing? Are you you're going into a cosplay yeah. thing? What, what will you um, be wearing? I've, I've been wearing my Donna Noble Journey's End outfit for the whole weekend. Um, I did that in the masquerade last night. Um, and this, today I'm just wearing, the, I'm not doing any cosplay type of stuff. So I'm kind of wearing um, my Donna Noble dress. And I've got a corset over the top and a bow headband. Just, I'm kind of doing like a little kind of a girly version of Donna at the moment. Let me just um, wrap so this the drool off. Um. <laughs> yeah. so hopefully, yeah, hopefully during the live taping of Podshot, if you wear your Colton Collective t-shirt, I know Lewis might look out for you. I don't know if I'll wear that again. I don't know. It's it's, too, it's very baggy on me, and it's not very flattering. I'm very, very, very sorry. I was I was being very kind of cautious about size because I didn't. The one thing I didn't want was that you to get it, it to be too small that you couldn't use it, and I was just well, the the size. I, I know you sent me the size, but I was just worried about. Yeah. Well, I don't know these you know the sizes that these people have and what kind of shirt it is. So I heard on the side of caution. It doesn't look that too bad. I mean, I guess I, you know, I'm a woman. I always say, oh, I look bad in that. But, um, you know, it does fit me. And if anything, it's it's a nice it's a nice shirt I can wear to bed because I like wearing big shirts to bed. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I might take it and just kind of wave it out and go, woo, kind of thing. There I'm going to Please do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wore it to the podcasting panel. Um, and I, I, you know, plugged ourselves kind of. They were talking about talk show podcasts, and I kind of stood up and said, "Oh, kind of thing." And um, yeah, pretty much. Everybody that. fawned over you because you were from Colton. Yes, I know yeah, it happens everywhere much. we go. <laughs> so yeah, um, I can't really think of much else to say other than if you can ever come, come because it is amazing. There are people from all around the world. I've been talking to a lovely girl from. England, who is an absolutely awesome Yonto cosplayer, and I'm just, I just fawn over her all the time. <laughs> and we've got plans already for the stuff we want to do at the Torch of Con in Northampton in April, and made lots and lots of new friends, and just... I you plenty of pictures? Plenty of pictures. I've taken nearly 700 pictures. There you wow. And um, the weekend's not over. <laughs> so um, most of them are cost. Most of them are cosplay pictures, though. But um, I did go to the yesterday ceremony, and I did try and take photos of the stage of the guests as they came out, um, more or less. So, do yeah. any of the girls in the room want to ask her? Howley, do you want to ask her a question while we've still got Samantha? Um, I don't know. I've not really got anything to ask. Is it something you'd go to? Um, maybe if I had the money, but as people may have seen, I'm currently struggling to pay for my driving lessons, let alone <laughs> contemplating yeah. going to America. But it's somewhere you feel absolutely <laughs> yeah. safe there. Uh, some, so it'd be fine for oh, girls definitely. to go there. Definitely. I mean, I'm in a group of um, three, three girls and one guy, and we are all sharing a room together. And um, we haven't left the hotel, mainly, but within the hotel, everyone's really friendly, and we honestly do not feel that you know we don't we don't feel we feel, we feel safe everyone is very friendly and welcoming and right. the hotel staff all well, the guests you know, one last question great. from me then who have yeah. you not yet seen that you're desperate to see during the, the, the 
Charlie Levine, um, Georgia Moffat. I have seen her panel, but I haven't seen her kind of thing. Um, although I remember I was walking out her panel and she was walking behind me and my friend. We were trying our best not to just stand there and stare. Um, <laughs> she was wearing a very, very short skirt. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, so yeah, so it's John Levine and of course, um, I think that's it really. I really wanted to see Sarah Sutton, but she's unfortunately pulled out. Um, saw Tommy Knight briefly. Oh, one of his hilarious comments, um, someone asked um, him in his panel, which I caught the end of, which was, what would he like to see in the future for Luke Smith and Dan's or simply sex, drugs and rock and roll? And that just made me laugh so much. I was like, yes, that's what we want to see. Um, from the <laughs> what about Fraser oh, Hines, uh, Annika Wills? Oh, I saw Fraser Hines. Actually, I talked to Fraser last night. Um, what did, what, what did we talk about? What were we talking about? I think... Actually, that's right. We were riding up for Masquerade, and um, he just came up to us all, and we all just started chatting about, like, stuff, and it was like, he was, like, complimenting us on our costumes and everything, and because we were um, behind the Renette, uh, Madame de Pompadour costume, and she was amazing. I think she actually won one of the awards as well, and um, she actually had pockets in her dress that she kept, like, bottles of soda and, like, her purse and things, so it was, like, really... Kind of like it was, she had like hardest pockets. She just kept on pulling things out, and like Fraser, I think Fraser was like promising like that and kind of having a little bit of a giggle. It was oh, it lots of fun. And that's the thing. Like the guests are very approachable. They just kind of like come up to you. It's like a, hey, hi, <coughs> you know. It's just, it's just, and and, oh, and Tony Lee and and Phil Ford actually came to the flash panel last night, which was quite fun. Tony Lee is <laughs> a hoot. Like, he he has worn my Doctor yeah. Who coat, by the way. Yes, yes, he, he, he was asking us questions in the, in the, um, in the, it's not porn, it's research panel. <laughs> and, and, then, and, and then Phil Ford, like, we didn't realize he was in the room, and we started talking about Sarah Jane Flash, and then we looked at Phil, and then it's like, oh my god, Phil Ford is here. Everyone shut up. <laughs> Very fun, needless to say. Um, but yeah, my, um, my thing's doing quite, quite, Good at the moment, so I could probably talk for a little bit longer, but she'll probably wrap it up so I can go. Well, Benjamin, do you want to ask that question but, um, quickly? Uh, by the way, Samantha, did you get on the podcasters panel or any of those other panels around there? I mean, no, the representative. I was yeah. sitting on the um, I was sitting in the front row, but um, I think the podcast panel, like it was so full already with podcasts. I think they had um, they had Podshop, they had Bridging the Rift, Radio Free Sky, <laughs> Two Minutes Time Lord. Just they ran out of table. Someone was sat right at the end. Yeah, pretty much. I spotted you in the front row because they were taking photos from the stage. And I doubt I will be able to. I would have been able to say anything that intelligent anyway. So um, you know, I just kind of sat in the audience and just made random comments. (laughs) So um, that was pretty much the gist of it, really. But I did go see it, and it was very, very good. It was like. Pretty much the message was that there's so many podcasters out there that now that you really got, you know, everyone's got to really kind of, you know, stick to their guns and just keep doing, doing what they do and, you know, do it yep. well. Yeah. Well, you've certainly made our our uh, event today. Thank you. We were absolutely yeah. brilliant. You can make time for us. You must have a very yeah. safe flight to London later uh, uh, in the next day too. But enjoy the rest of the con. <coughs> I will, and I hope to be on next week, hopefully with internet mm. connection. It all depends on how things go in London once I get there. But, um, so yeah, 
glad I could come on and glad my audio hasn't dropped out again. Okay, knock on wood. Alrighty. <laughs> Okay. Well, if you see Lewis, Ken and James before they do the live show, wish them luck from all here at the Colton Collective. Will do. Will do. Yep. Take care of yourself, Sam. Yep. I will. I'll speak to you guys soon. Bye, yep. all, everybody. Bye. Bye. Everybody say bye. Okay, bye-bye, guys. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. i got to play this at the end just because I put so much time into it. <laughs> and now, reporting live... <laughs> From Gallifrey 21 in Los Angeles, California, it's Ramana 2. <laughs> Just had to do it again, because it's fun. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, another guest that we have in the room is the Typing Monkey. And, and somebody wasn't ready. I just noticed that uh, Romano oh, was still you, online. Quit cutting the boy off. He's got a line to say. Run the typewriter again. <laughs> go, Typey Monkey, go. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> he wants Skype to do that, so we can just add it to the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Since that's the Typing Monkey, that means it's news time. Yeah, Benjamin, we'd like to go with you first, if we may. Okay. Well, all right. Well, there were a number of things. First off in the week was BBC One um, claimed that they had not announced the premiere date of Doctor Who, in spite of millions of people watching a trailer on BBC One on Sunday, clearly stating Saturday, April, uh, 3rd of April. Apparently, I think it was BBC Two, Ben, because I think it was after Top Gear. Top Gear. Yeah. Okay, so thousands of people saw it then. Mm. But anyway. Well, millions. Well, basically, they said that Apparently, the trailer ran by mistake, and so it doesn't count. So the BBC has not officially announced the 3rd of April, even though they clearly spent the time to edit that onto a trailer. Um, BBC America in the U.S. turned around and announced that Doctor Who would air on the 17th of April. So we're going to have Saturday nights roughly two weeks after the non-announced date from the U.K., Space mentioned on their podcast that they'll be airing Doctor Who soon after the UK. Uh, based on how Space handled things last year, they're probably going to go with BBC America's air dates. So I, I would count them as unannounced for the 17th of April as well. And if you're in South Africa, the Don Noble episodes start at Easter. Hello? Yep. I was just wondering if that was is that the end of the news? Uh, well, that's, that's, it for this, that's it for the broadcast stuff. One little detail. At the convention, the Radio Free Scarrow podcast was interrupted. Their service interrupted. Their website went down mysteriously Friday morning. And no one has quite determined why. So I gather a certain Mr. Dalek from Staggering Stories has claimed responsibility, upset that they didn't cover enough Dalek stories and that they were promoting Dab Ross instead of the true Dalek creator, Yarveling. And apparently he was threatening to do it again to them. <laughs> but... <laughs> and... <laughs> so, anyway, that's, that's about it for scheduling for the moment. Okay. Thanks very much for that. And, uh, Tim, did you want to come in with some news? Yes, there's a couple of things. Well, at uh, Bonham's in the week was the, uh, the event that people with deeper pockets than most of us were attending. 
the uh, huge sale of Doctor Who and Torchwood props, some of which were quite old and some of which were surprisingly new. It was also a bit of an insight into the fact that if Torchwood comes back, it's going to be a rather different show because uh, I think the top price paid for anything was £18,000 for the SUV, which, mm. according to John Barrowman, is not in a, the best of states because it has been thrown around by stunt drivers and what have you. Oh, actually, it that is. was the second highest, according to this story on Total Sci-Fi Online. £20,400 was paid for a Mark I version of a Dalek from uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Right. The Daleks it generally went for, and the Sidemen went for a lot of money. There was £15,600 paid for a Sidemen. Right. And he had a chance to actually buy that man, but uh, as you say, he knew what it had been through. But no doubt, he, he then... Uh, uh, said that uh, it's still an absolutely marvellous buy. <laughs> Didn't want to get anybody upset. But there was something. Uh, uh, was it Rose, Rose Tyler's pajamas went for about a thousand pounds? And um, uh, I mean, the, the, outfit the estimates on most of the costumes was was in the hundreds. Yeah. But uh, as Tim was saying, um, it. One well, I was. I think I checked on on the BBC site that it said that one of the main buyers was for uh, a group of people that actually do display these at Doctor Who uh, exhibitions and that. So hopefully mm. they're not going to go into private hands. Yeah, not all of it's them. such a shame when all this stuff gets broken up and not grouped together. But right. um, was one other story. Yep. Another Doctor Who related one, sadly. Uh, we've lost another person from the classic series. Visual effects designer Ian Schoons died this week. Uh, who've worked on not just Doctor Who, uh, but uh, Quatermass and Blake Seven. And uh, we'll go down in history for uh, many of these spaceships he created, including the, uh, the spider-like Jagoroth one from City of Death. So... Um, oh. So long, Ian Schoons. We should dedicate this week's show to him, really. He did a lot of work for the show over the years. Well, he can share it, the honours with Samantha. I think she's certainly earned a, <laughs> a lead on that one. <laughs> um, but, OK, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, Rowan, have you got uh, some news you wanted to share with us? Is your audio still there? No, she's gone off audio. OK, um, well, just before I ask... Ian, if he has any news. The only news I've got is that um, there was some uh, talk that um, the Alice in uh, Wonderland was going to be boycotted by some cinemas, and that relates to Doctor Who, of course, in the fact that the the new Matt Smith trailer that uh, ben, Benjamin was talking about was going to be actually aired at, at the same theatres that showed that. But there was a big... Um, uh, argument about it because Alice in Wonderland they've decided to bring the DVD out and Blu-ray 12 weeks after cinema release rather I think than it's 13 Dave is it 12 okay yeah, rather, 13. Than, rather than 17 and there was going to be a boycott in protest to that anyway uh, I was watching on the BBC just earlier tonight when uh, it said that uh, that has been uh, averted I think so mm. hopefully um I don't know what the resolution is about the actual timing, but in fact the, those theatres will be showing Alice in Wonderland and therefore, hopefully, 
that means that the Doctor Who trailer will get slightly wider release with that. Thank, thank goodness for that, because for me it would have meant a, a cycle ride about half an hour across Cambridge to the only cinema chain that would have been showing it. Right. Now, Ian's back in uh, the uh, the room. Um, are you OK there, Ian? Yes. Um, do you want to bring Mike in on this point, or do you want to... Yes, yes, actually, that means I've, that means I've got two things. Um, for those of you who follow us on Twitter, uh, myself and Dave and uh, Randall Thor, uh, Mike, you have a little show that you do on Friday. No, little. See, look at me belittling his show already. You have a little show. Yes, yes. He has a, he has a big show. Growing a popularity share. show, I might add. <laughs> yes. Um, and what... Without revealing too much, uh, what was the um, subject of the show on Friday? Yeah, for my new show, uh, Radio Free Cameland, I'm doing Friday night tri- uh, trivia games on uh, Friday nights, and for the past two sun- Fridays I've been doing Doctor Who for the theme, and Dave AC has been the contestant for, the, for both of those, and this past Friday night, uh, Dave and Ian were, c- were competing against each other for the Doctor Who themed trivia quiz. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm happy to tell everybody that the Colton Collective won. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yes! <laughs> but you will have to actually subscribe, download, and listen to the episode to find out which half of the Collective won. Oh, yeah, it's Talk to ID 7402. Benjamin didn't hear you there. Wouldn't that often mean that the Collective lost? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Muted. Muted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go away, you. <laughs> oh, glass half empty, thinker. <laughs> Liam says he won. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he was responsible for kicking you out of that show twice. <laughs> but anyway, oh, yeah. I vanished into the time vortex. <laughs> so give that give that one give that uh, talk show ID one more plug there, sir. Talk show ID seven two four zero two, and it's on the. On the iTunes directory. Yes. And the name again? Radio Free Camlin. That's C-A-E-M-L-Y-N. There you go. I'll type it in the chat. There you go. All right. And uh, other just real quick news, uh, apart from the fact that Howley's going for a wee, uh, (laughs) is that last week uh, saw the end of Series 2 of Survivors. uh, And that will be an up-and-coming show. Uh, that uh, we will be doing on the collective. So if you haven't seen it yet, watch it because there will be a quiz. Uh, <laughs> and also coming to a close tonight is series two of Being Human. Um, I'm very, very intrigued, uh, looking forward to it. So please, no spoilers on Twitter, Tim, Tim Jury. Uh, <laughs> and uh, because uh, the, one of the reasons I'm intrigued is because the little clips that they show at the end of the episode for the forthcoming episode were a lot it was probably like three really slow mode clips in other words they're not showing us an awful lot which is great it means there's a lot of hopefully a lot of surprises so I'm looking forward to it and so Dave's going to be bursting at the seams when uh, when we chat tonight because uh, Normally I haven't seen it by the time we talk. <laughs> yeah, that also could remind... I mean, I've got a couple of things to mention, but it could also remind us that we, we also released a studio show during the week. Do you want to mention that? Oh, yeah, About we released a studio show during the week. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, we, we, we uh, Dave, uh, Mike, and myself, we all got together and we discussed the new trailer and listened to it um, So live on the show. Okay, well, two things I've got, Ian. One is that um, because of the uh, podcast, Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, um, well, I'll let you mention maybe if you want to what you're doing for that, but uh, right. one of the things that we said we would do on our show is is advertise the event itself. And basically, this is from Tony from Flashing Blade saying, um, uh, basically, um, Waterstones in Lakeside, this is in the UK, are holding a siding on the 27th of March, and uh, they have permission to record the podcast of the event. So himself, Adam Purcell from Staggering Stories, and Dave Deep from the Professor Dave's Ark in Space, uh, of course, along with the Flashing Blade, will be recording half an hour's worth of material at the event. They will also be talking to the attendees, and with luck, we'll be getting interviews and readings from Colin Baker, Annika Wills, and, uh, as uh, Tony puts it, the dog thingy, my Bobby shooty. Um, shooty was, dog thingy. The shooty yeah. dog thingy. Yeah. So the point is that if you um, are a podcaster of sorts like, t- uh, well, Anybody here on here who has a podcast and they are part of the Podcast Alliance, uh, that uh, recording will be made available so that you can actually play it on your own recording. So um, that's something that we, we, we said we would promote. So it's Wardstones in Lakeside. Uh, do you know any, anything more, Tim, about that location? It's a big shopping thing, isn't it, Lakeside? It's a huge shopping centre in Essex, but I've ne- never been to it myself, so I don't really know any more than that. Okay. Um, not, I don't know if... It's not a bad location. Um, I pre- go shopping there every once in a while. It's pretty good. Okay. Uh, and we, where, where's the nearest town to it? Um, it um, Lakeside, it's actually near Thurrock. Um, it's kind of on the sort of um, Kent-Essex border. It's literally right by the um, the toll bridge. Um, I can't remember which side, which side the bridge and which side the tunnel, but it's in around that area so if you kind of um it's near places like um you know basildon and stuff like that that's usually where i go from um because i don't know where i'm visiting so yeah if you look to thorough um right and shopping centers near there and you'll find lakeside yeah it also says on this by the way that uh, there is also an event the following month i assume at the same place and that is a uh, nick briggs doing mm-hmm. a signing and uh, I don't know whether they're going to be able to get some uh, from there. Now, I've got one thing else to mention, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, from uh, Graham Jokerfile, the, um, the Jokerfile media that I yep. failed to read out for about two weeks. But okay. do you want well, to mention, Ian, anything yes. related to that last thing? Uh, another thing people will have seen on Twitter is that um, I am currently in the process of remastering episode 21 of the Cultum Collective podcast. Now, people ask, A, why episode 21 and why remaster? Well, um, as I said on Twitter, I'm going through and I'm replacing Dave AC with Jar Jar Binks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, but seriously, folks, the uh, Doctor Who Podcast Alliance uh, at this event will be handing out um, somewhere in the region of 100 uh, audio DVDs with uh, podcasts representing the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance and uh, we've been asked to supply an episode and we, Dave and I did some uh, a massive re-listen 
and decided that episode 21, which contains uh, a good chunk of our regulars, um, it has our, the Christmas messages from the other podcasts, and it's a stonking good show. So we decided, well, we'll go with that one. It's a, and plus it's a Doctor Who episode. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, we may, we, the audio we, was quite good as well, wasn't it? Yeah, we may put it uh, back onto the feed as a as a new show as well. Once this is done, it all depends on mm. how how well of a job, how good of a job I do. I was up till two o'clock in the morning uh, replacing all the uh, uh, Christmas messages, and I still have to go through and do the uh, sound clips from Doctor Who. So stay tuned yeah. for that. And as Tiggs puts in, yes, it's the the loving new Who one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the episode. Yeah, that that is the one. And 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 Tiggs, I, I I think you should remember that episode. That's the one where you got all unnecessary because you got told uh, you were extremely handsome in that show. <laughs> <laughs> and he went all gooey. I think my, I think my brain froze at that point. <laughs> He's like, um, uh, uh, um. <laughs> oh, is that the one you're distributing to the masses? Your embarrassment will know no end. (laughs) Okay, and talking of embarrassment, I think I ought to finally. uh, Now, if you'll just bear with me, this is me eating crow and just uh, reading out um, an email (coughs) that uh, Graham, also known as the Second Doctor Sheridan, um, who does the Professor Howe and the uh, B movie. Invasion uh, podcast. Um, he sent his uh, thing about the um, l- loving sci-fi. So I'm going to read it fairly briefly, but this is a little bit like the BBC doing one of their apology announcements, where you know the lawyers say we have to read it out. So <laughs> bear with me. Okay. Uh, uh, whilst quote wet 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 uh, love is all around us, bringing love into sci-fi tends to be a trigger for the main character. A good example is the 2002 remake of The Time Machine, where Alexander Hartigan is pushed by the tragic death of his fiancée to build a time machine, and as with the original, it is love that causes him to go back to the year 800,002 AD. But love in sci-fi does not end there. In Star Wars, new and old, there is a love story at the centre of both the trilogies, Layla and Han Solo, and in the th- first, sorry, in the first three films, and Anakin and Ami- Amidar is it in the second three films. Even though the Clone Wars, in the Clone Wars, his relationship seemed to me to distract from the story itself. But there, where would we be without loving sci-fi and love in particular between robots, as in Pixar's Wall-E, uh, which in the end causes Wall-E to give uh, and Eve to fight for one another. This also sparks off a love interest between the couple of passengers on the Axiom. Bookwise, there is Douglas Adams, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, where Arthur Dent falls head over heels with Fenchurch, who is the sister of a guy he gets a lift with off after returning to Earth. But his failed relationship with Trillian, which never got to go in the first place, but did end up with fathering a child due to Arthur's botheredly fluids deposit, to get flight tickets sent back to Earth. Right, okay. Uh, Loving Doctor Who is not a new phenomenon, strictly. It's only a new series thing. But because Doctor Who is a bit of a pain in the... Sorry, but caused Doctor Who a bit of a pain in the past. As with the third Doctor, where Joe Grant decides to settle down with Professor Cliff Jones and start a new life. 
Even though he did not show it, the doctor seemed to be very sad in the end. So hopefully this sparks off a little bit of discussion, though I doubt there will be lots of discussion about the whole Doctor and Rose thing. That's all for now. P.S. Liam, if you if David had studied hard at school, he'd be able to read this better. <laughs> <laughs> actually, uh, Liam just put in the chat Wally because we actually just got done watching that again this morning. So. Oh, great! Oh, good. It's a lovely well, movie. Lovely. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that about wraps it up for news. I was going to say before we disappear John? from news altogether, I've put a couple of links in the chat that I found via Twitter. Uh, the first is someone managed to shoot some video of the Stephen Moffat uh, little speech that he gave to Gallifrey and the second is of James Norton who apparently is sporting a fourth doctor scarf style tie to Gallifrey this year it looks sweet Tony will be jealous so how are we now we um Oh, I think we're good. Go? Yes, let's I think go. we should move on because okay, we're already an hour into the show and we've got nowhere. Sorry. We're turning into I've, a joke. I've just yes. put two uh, links in there for people who would like to just refer to them. Um, we're doing, of course, from the mind of Tim Burton, and uh, this is to try and pick one or two of the highlights out of his very checkered and varied career, which. Uh, goes way way back according to at least one of those to about 1971 I believe with uh, and I haven't got Darth to correct me here so well he just came on I don't know if his audio is working is your audio working Darth it doesn't sound like I hear clicking you're very very quiet sir (coughs) is it working at all yeah there you are hooray I don't know, Gizmo's not working, but I am for the first time trying a shoe phone, so I don't know. Oh, excellent. There you go. Well, well look, while you've you got work. audio, and just in case it fades off, uh, and before we've ra- really launched into the topic, anything that's thus far gone you want to comment on? I really have no idea what has happened in the uh, so far in the past <laughs> hour. He's been, been passing out like a military academy. I really have. <laughs> I have a little bit of news that probably wasn't mentioned I'll just mention it really quickly, and that is apparently we now have a writer for the next Superman film, which will not be called Superman, but instead be called The Man of Steel, and will be written by David Goyer. David David Goyer being a a quite famous uh, comic book writer. And the story will not be an origin story. It will launch into a big Kryptonian mythology thing and uh, will involve Brainiac and Lex Luthor and will not star Brandon Routh and will not be directed by Brian Singer. Wow. Can Ooh. we just get rid of uh, Lex Luthor and just have Brainiac? For crying out loud? It sounds like a <laughs> no. big screen version of Smallville. They're not having uh, any of the Smallville cast in it, are they? I, I don't know. That's not been That's, determined yet. Yeah. I think that because, because Tom Welling has said he really, really, really does not want to play Superman in tights. I doubt it. <laughs> right. And by the way, we all expressed our relief that uh, things have gone well for Hawaii, uh, mainly in the in the main, uh, with your alert that went out uh, late yesterday. And we're all relieved that everything is mostly okay there. Indeed. Yes, we got lucky. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, Chile didn't. Very true. No. Mm. 
Okay, well, let's try and be upbeat then. We're talking about uh, the uh, from the mind of Tim Burton. Now, of course, one of the great things about the Colton Collective is that we're always on the ball. We're always right on the money with the news item of the week. And, of course, where, where we announced that we were going to do the show, um, Jonathan Ross felt as though he had to invite uh, Tim Burton uh, and Johnny Depp onto his show. Uh, Mossy because, is um, always trying to one-up me, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. Leave me alone. He knew he leave the BBC. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so um, I'm going to play... They are very short clips, mainly around the minute, uh, just shorter than that. And I'll punctuate th- this thing because there are far too many films to actually try and show clips to. So just to get us in the mood, I'll just play the first short clip. <laughs> Why don't we? They are two of Hollywood's most respected and individual stars. Let's have a look at a clip from their first collaboration. Way back when, I can't believe how long ago this is. This is the wonderful Edward Scissorhands. We'll have to just listen. Not the right to stare, dear. Kevin, think how it would make you feel if somebody were staring at you. I wouldn't care. Well, I would. Don't do it. Well, this must, this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Yeah, Edward, dear. I think he prefers Edward. Oh, yeah, sure. So what are you even doing with yourself up there in that big old place? I bet the... I bet the view must be spectacular, huh, Ed? Edward. Yes? <clears throat> no, I... Just... See all the way to the ocean, I bet, huh? Sometimes. Bill, could I have a salt and pepper, please? Bill, could I have a salt and pepper, please? Kevin. And that, unfortunately, is a rather visual trick. It's where they've invited him to kneel, and he's trying to eat peas with his scissor fingers. So uh, it's a, a bit of a visual gag there. But um, it, it was nice that they came on. Uh, Johnny Depp rarely does interviews, but I've tried to select little clips that focus uh, uh, more on uh, Tim uh, Burton's contribution to it. So uh, I don't know really what to make this formal, Ian, because we've not got... A very large number of people on in the room with audio. I uh, usually try and uh, prompt people to come in, but um, is there anything you want to? Uh, well, he's just uh, left the room, of course. As soon as I do that, I look at the room and he's gone. So I will um, say the very first one of his shows I saw was Beetlejuice. So is is there any big fans of Beetlejuice in the room uh, and want to start us off at that point? I've not seen it for a few years, Dave. I remember it being quite odd, though. It's one of those characters who appears if you say his name multiple times. And he's a ghost, I think. And mm, there's a, it's, the plot, as far, as far as I can remember, is a bunch of people, a family move into an old house, uh, unaware that, that it's got resident ghosts, Beetlejuice being the sort of nastiest one of them. Right. So. It's it's a lot of and it's a very good performance from uh, Michael Keaton in a very an early big role for him. Ah right, I, I was thinking it was played for the black, the chap from Back to the Future who oh, played. No. The... Oh, 
Right. Uh, well, on that link that I put in, the um, the Wikipedia link, it says, um, <clears throat> of course, he, he'd actually been in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which was a, uh, a comedian who, who fell from grace rather later than that, I think. But uh, let's keep on to this one, Beetlejuice. After directing episodes of the revitalised TV series Halford Hitchcock Presents, um, he received his next big project, 1988, in fact, Beetlejuice, a supernatural com comedy horror about a young couple, as you say, forced to cope with life after death, as well as a family of pretentious yuppies invading their treasured New England home, uh, including their teenage daughter, uh, who was played by Winona Ryder. So, uh, starring Alec, Alec, Ball, uh, Alex Baldwin, uh, Gina Davis, and Michael Keaton. So, anybody want to jump in on this particular one? Because I've got a feeling that there may be a few people in the room who want to talk about his next film, which was, of course, Batman. Okay. I'll uh, 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 join in because I, I remember seeing this movie in the theater back uh, in the in the in the eighties. And um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I saw I saw um, I also saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and I also saw and I saw Beetlejuice. But um, it was there was there were a lot there were a handful of things you know with a PG rated movie, and and uh, there, and uh, there were a lot of things in that movie that were very scary. Like uh, there because um, soon after uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin uh, become ghosts, and they're trying to there's this part where they're trying to scare uh, the, the yuppies. The house. There's a, there's a scene where um, Gina Davis tries to scare him, but she rips her her face off, and the eyeballs pop out the skull. And, I thought, and that was very. It's a very, it's a very you know, like you know. Easy. Comedy. I, I don't know. Comedy horror. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, it is. It was a dark comedy. You know, there's and there's that. Um, yeah, um, you know, there's a scene where Alec Baldwin's holding his own severed head, and it's very, it's very. Burnett, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's an 80s family movie, and but it's, you know, it's a very dark movie, and um, yeah, and the, you know, the other scene I remember is the bit where um, the the Deo scene, you know, the scene where they're all um, having dinner and and uh, they're all possessed to sing Harry Palafante's Deo, and it's it's a very you know, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's a very um, interesting movie. My 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 fun memories of of Beetlejuice is uh, my I used to go into my brother's room. He had uh, uh, VHS player and and he had uh, Beetlejuice. And I used to go in there like once a month at least and, and and sit there and just watch that movie. And it oh, I love it. It's it's an awesomely awesome movie. Yeah, and I actually should have probably played my second clip before we went on to Beetlejuice, so let me just play this, because this refers to just scissor hands first. Uh, yeah, it's great to have you both here, and I'm really pleased you're both here together, because uh, I know you work with other people, and you, you do other movies, but when I think of your movies, or when I think of your movies, I tend to think of you as a pair. Uh, and you've been together, what, is it 20 years now that, that uh, Edward Scissorhands first brought you together? Yeah, one journalist said we've been working together for 10 decades, which <laughs> was before film was, you know, everything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so we're trying to work that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a strange yeah. thing to say. Uh, was Johnny the person you had in mind for Edward Scissorhands, or was it a, a film you were writing anyway, and then you were looking around for the right person? No, I didn't, you know, I'd never seen the show he'd done, 21 Jump Street, but I knew about him, and... Uh, I just, after I met him, I realized he was that character, you know, somebody who 
you know, he's always been sort of misperceived by looking like a, you know, poster boy, and inside there was always something different, and that's sort of what the character of Edward Scissorhands was. And yeah, so, so I mean, you were kind of a teen idol at the time. When that TV show, you were kind of a, a heartthrob in all the teeny magazines and they stuff? Were, uh, they were working hard to process uh, some kind of uh, a character to shove down people's throats. And I was, rep I was misrepresented, really. I mean, I, you know, cause as far as I was concerned, I was just an actor doing the job. And as um, Jonathan Ross mentions, he, he has a, a very mature voice and he's so used to him putting on all these accents, Ian, that uh, I think he, he was taken aback by his, uh, his very eloquent speech and, um, you know, well-rounded tones. Right. But anyway, I mean, uh, I... Beetlejuice, sorry, come. No, I was just going to comment on that, but I will wait till we get to, uh, to uh, Edward Scissorhands to comment well, well, we have no. That's why we'd we'd, we'd actually moved on to Beetlejuice. That's, oh. uh, I was just about to bring you into the room and noticed you'd gone, so I moved uh. very quickly on to Beetlejuice. So yeah, now's the time. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, that was an important movie for for Johnny Depp because I mean, at that point, that's all I saw him as was. Oh, he's on all of the you know teen magazines and everything. He's just a you know, he's just a face. Uh, but after seeing him in Edward Scissorhands, that was, you know, I immediately kind of respected him as as an actor, you know, because for him to go from that image in 21 Jump Street to um, becoming that character, and he becomes it so well. Uh, we we just actually watched it about a month ago. I um, I got it on DVD, um, and it is a, a brilliant movie, and he is brilliant in it. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Dave? <laughs> Sorry, um, I was just trying to find out where the, that sound was coming from. Somebody needs to mute themselves. And it, I was trying my own. But, uh, yep, uh, I don't know whether anybody else wants to come in. Darth, do you have anything to say on Beetlejuice or Scissorhands? Um, well... I would say that they are two of his more successful films in my eyes. Um, I, I tend to think of early Tim Burton as better than current Tim Burton. Um, and I think one of the things that makes it uh, so successful is really understanding where Tim Burton comes from. Because, of course, Tim Burton did not start out as a director. He started out really as an animator. Um, and, you know, he did... Um, he, he was a Disney animator, and it's one of the reasons that his own animated films basically returned to Disney, because he's got a long association with Disney. And what's great about his original films, like Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice, is that they combine the skills of a live-action director with those of an animator. In other words, he's able to, to craft... Um, truly fantastic sorts of uh, worlds in a live-action environment. And, and they're so original. They're so unlike anything that existed at the time um, that they, they provide a lot of delight for the viewer because you don't really know what's coming up. Now, unfortunately, I think that as he's matured, he has actually sort of created a Tim Burton brand, and that brand is now expected so that by this point in his career, 
Tim Burton film is a Tim Burton film, and you kind of know what you're going to get into. And it, it's less original now than it was then. But certainly in his early career here with Beetlejuice and, and Edward Scissorhands, you're in a world that um, didn't really exist at the time and was very exciting and new. Yeah, yeah. And just to uh, emphasize that, let me play this bit. But I guess you, uh, you, we don't see you being interviewed that much, and I guess that's uh, deliberate on your part. Occasionally I become a grown-up man, too. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not a, you're kind of a weird person, I imagine, though, aren't you? Because that's what Because <laughs> I don't think you find normal people often. I've been accused of weird, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been accused. You like being a bit weird, don't you? Well, I mean, I just like to sort of, you know, I, I prefer to go down the, the road that I, that I prefer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and coming from you, that's quite something, because you're... you're find you to the weird side of life, are you? Well, I mean, what's weird, you know? I mean, You uh, two are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that just fitted in with your comment, I thought. Yeah, Jonathan Ian? Ross. Sorry, what? No, I just wanted to come in. Anybody else want to come in on the, these two early films before we move I to will. Batman? Go on then, Howley. Um, I've not seen Beetlejuice, but I have seen Edward Scissorhands. I'm never quite got it as it were it was one of those things where there was a point where kind of everyone was obsessed with that and um, The Nightmare Before Christmas it was, like, I mean, it was the big thing to be into because that was, it all sounds a bit silly looking but it was cool and it was gothy and it was a bit outside so we all had to like it and I always kind of used to sit there watching it with friends and thinking well it's a nice enough story but I feel like I'm missing something in it if that makes sense I've never quite understood it <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're alone there <laughs> You know, they're, they're, sort of, they're very pretty to look at and the story was interesting but I just always felt like there was something else that I should be understanding and it just wasn't quite going in so I've, I've never quite got into those as much as I felt I should Right yeah, and, I mean, Edward's um, uh, other hands I, I like because uh, I mean, it does He, like Dara said, he he creates this kind of um, you know, Tim Burton world which at the time was uh, an interesting thing to look at now it's become kind of Oh, it's a Tim Burton movie, but mm. the the story behind Edward Scissorhands is really kind of remarkable, and it's just really, I think, a a, a dig at how we live our lives and how we are supposedly so open to uh, new experiences and, and and new people, but anything that comes along that's new or uh, different, uh, we pretend that we want to accept it, but we attempt to make it. Uh, normal and just like us, and you know that's, that's yeah. kind of the story behind that. And you know, although the, it's looking at it from <laughs> from the other side, it's so full of holes because you know, what one day this woman finally decides that this house at the end of the street, she's finally going to go knock on the door. Uh, obviously, the the old man's been up there for years, and nobody's ever gone there. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's what I didn't get about it was the sort of there was part of me going along with the story and going, oh, you know, it's interesting and nice. There was another bit of me going, but why? Why is that happening? <laughs> yeah. Which is why I can't watch rom coms. I spend part the whole time just going, but why are they in love? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're not alone in not watching, uh, well, not so much Tim Burton films, but not watching Johnny Depp films, because uh, this next clip, Johnny Depp doesn't watch either. 
But uh, do you go to Johnny first? Because this partnership, it clearly works, and it's clearly something that you both feel comfortable with. Um, but you do, uh, you know, make other films with other people. Uh, do you prefer working with Johnny? Is it your first port of call when you have a part, or are there certain parts where you, you don't go to him because you, you don't think it's a good mix? No, I think I always go to him if I feel the part's right and think he'd like it. And, uh, you know, also he's, you know, he's willing to try anything. And he also doesn't like looking at himself. I don't, he's never seen a movie that we've done together. You don't watch yourself back? I can't stand it. Because yeah. you're unattractive, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, really, well, you just don't like seeing yourself on the screen or you don't like the performance? Uh, what I prefer, I just prefer to walk away with the experience of the process and, and have, you know, to, just to have that and, the, and then that's plenty. I don't, should, I don't need to watch them because some of them are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I thought when I played that one that Darth might like to comment on that one because, you know, he likes to walk away from the experience of having made the film and not have that blotted out by the actual film itself. Is that something that you, that you like? Duh. Wait, a minute. but that's that's what Johnny Depp was saying. That's, that's not what I Tim, mean, yeah. Right, but we're talking about Tim Burton today, not Johnny Depp, and they're I, different I entities. That. Right, Fair but they're different that. entities, and, and one does not impinge upon the other. That's fine, whatever Johnny Depp has to say or whatever, but it doesn't really have anything to do with Tim Burton. No, that was related actually to Howley T, because she said she, she does, you know, she doesn't really get it and doesn't watch it. But that well, was I mean, bringing it's a fairy tale. Something you it's a fairy tale, and fairy tales don't make any sense. I mean, no fairy tale. If you yeah. if you read it from beginning to end, no fairy tale yeah. makes any real logical sense at all. That's not the point of a fairy tale. The point of a fairy tale is merely to bring mood and and shading into a uh, particular setting, and and to go from there to get to the moral point is what is what a fairy tale is about. And yeah, if you want to pick apart um, the logic of a plot. Tim Burton is your man. I mean, there's not a single Tim Burton yeah. film out there that makes real, true, logical sense from beginning to end, but that is not the point of Tim Burton. And if you're going into Tim Burton wanting that, then I'm afraid you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, but, um, I mean, I, sort of, I get fairy tales, but I can understand the whole suspension of disbelief. There's just something about Tim Burton's work that I can't get on with. That's what I'm trying to explain. I don't know what it is about it, but it doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, but that I, I don't think that logical agreement is what is the problem. It's something else. And I, and I quite agree. There's certainly as we get into later Tim Burton, um, I, you know, I, I'm not particularly excited either. It's not like I'm going to be first in line to see Alice in Wonderland. Um, I, I personally loathe about uh, Tim Burton that he seems to be caught um, remaking things. And I don't particularly want to see you know, the Tim Burton version of Planet of the Apes or the Tim Burton version of Batman or the Tim Burton, Burton version of anything. What I want to see is Tim Burton's version of Tim Burton's work. And, and it bugs me about Tim Burton that he is constantly trying to reinvent things. So there, I mean, there's certainly things that you can disagree with about Tim Burton's work, but I don't think that logical coherence is a particularly fair thing to judge him on. Right. So in some ways, his success and his, his immediately uh, recognisable film is somewhat of an albatross around his neck. Um, not, not for... It's a brand, right? I mean, he yeah. has, he's one of the few directors that has successfully created a brand. Um, and he's an auteur. And if you, if you buy into that, great. Then, then that's absolutely a good thing. If you don't buy into it, then it's very much of a detriment. I mean, you could say that about Alfred Hitchcock. You could say that about Spielberg. You can say that about just about 
any major director whose name you actually know. Um, some people are going to like it. Some people are not going to like it. That's okay. just the way it is. Right. As I mentioned before, with 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 although we've got a lot of people in the room, there's not a lot of many people on mic. So don't wait for me to call you in to come in. Anybody, Charlie, or Mike, or um, anyone else want to come in on uh, Tim on on the points that have been raised so far before we move to Batman? If no, not, not really. I will. Right. Well, we'll move on. But please don't don't hang there and think that you haven't had a chance to have your say. I'm not sort of going around prompting people to jump in today, if you don't mind. Okay, so, uh, Batman, uh, 1989. Uh, Burton's ability to produce hits with low budgets impressed the studio executives, and he got his first budget film with Batman. Um, for the title role, Burton chose to cast Michael, Michael Keaton as Batman, following their previous collaboration in Beetlejuice. Uh, and this is despite Keaton's average physique, inexperience with action films, and his reputation as a comic actor. Um, when the film opened in, opened in June '89, it was uh, backed by the biggest marketing merchandising campaign in the history of film at the time, and became the biggest box office hit of all time up to then, of over 250 million US dollars in the US alone, 400 million dollars worldwide and won the Academy Award for Best Art Direction. Um, so, what do we think? Uh, Ian, do you want to c- come in on this one? Yeah, I mean, I was one of those, when I heard that uh, who he had cast, I was like, really? Michael Keaton? The comedian? Is Batman? I don't think so. But uh, he won me over on the part. Uh, I, 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 I like the way that uh, Gotham looked in this movie. Um, the, the huge statues and uh, the kind of gothic look to it. And it was very dark and kind of dreary. The way, I mean, I think that, that, that Gotham should look um, for the most part because, you know, without it looking dark and dreary and, and dangerous, you know, what do you need Batman for? Uh We've lost him again. Oh dear. Ian's been eaten by the cone. <laughs> do you want to come Where's in on Dave? that one? Yep. Ian, uh, Tim, do you want to just carry on on Batman then for a minute? I was hoping he'd just well, pop back in. Personally, as someone who's re-watched the um, earlier Batman movies, the 80s, 90s ones, um, over the past few months, I still prefer... Tim Burton's take on Batman to uh, the Christopher Nolan uh, ones of the recent times. Um, it's it's certainly far more of a an attitude that you're bringing a comic book to life when he's making those kind of films. And uh, it. One of my favourite observations about them is that they're not quite set in any particular time. People are walking around dressed sort of as if it's ish the 1930s or 40s, but then there'll be like huge, great, big modern skyscrapers and computer technology and all that kind of stuff around. So, I mean, they're they're both flawed. Neither of them are absolutely perfect, those... Burton Batman movies, but particularly the first one, he 
he did rather nail it for me in a way that has not really been bettered since. Right, right. Uh, and I'm um, just looking at this page. In actual fact, I suppose, um, in actual fact, the the way they've been listed, um, Edward Scissorhands, in actual fact, came out after Batman. I'd got those reversed on my little list, so I apologise for that. I think that was probably what Merlin was referring to in the text earlier that I'd uh, got my orders mixed up. Uh, Mike, you've been very quiet. Do you want to come in yet, or Charlie? Well, my main connect. Well, my main memory of the Batman movie is is not the really the movie itself. I haven't seen it since the early '90s. I'm more familiar with the NES game adaptation, so I don't really have much to say on this. <laughs> yeah, I think the reason my mix-up becomes I'm mi- I, I I'd mixed up because it's Batman Returns that comes after Edward Scissorhands, uh, and not the other way around. So that was where Charlie. How about yourself? Yeah. Um. I saw this movie in the, the theaters when it came out, and I got the VHS, and I watched it a bunch of times afterwards. Um, yeah, it, it's like one of those movies, I haven't seen it in a long, long time, and it's one of those movies, but, you know, you know if, if I, don't, I don't know if I want to see it again. I mean, like, I'm, I'll probably go see it again, but I'm, it's, it's not one of those up, on the, up high on the must-rewatch list. But, um... Yeah, you know, Jack Nicholson's over the top of the Joker. Um, I like Danny Elfman's music. The, 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 print, the print songs are dated and not that very good. Just, I'm thinking of that scene in Shaun the Dead when they when they grab the print, the, uh, the Batman soundtrack and they chuck it at the zombie. Um, yeah, it's just you know, like it, it, like I said, it won an Oscar for set design and it, it deserved it, and you know, it's great at that. Mm-hmm. And also. Um, uh, Michael Goff, uh, the celestial toy maker, is um, Alfred. I, I, I thought that was a nice uh, uh, bit of casting for that there. Um, yes, yes, you certainly that's did. About it. Thank you. Well, we've got Ian back in the room now. Sorry, Ian, you you were mid flow, I think, when we lost you. Yeah, it always happens that way. I'm always mid flow when I get a thing. <laughs> now I can't remember what 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 the last thing I said was. Uh, it was about the city, wasn't it? The city. Right. He, he picked uh, yeah. a dark-looking city, which set the scene for it. Oh yeah, because I mean, it, it gave the impression that it was a city that needed Batman's help, and 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 so you know, it seemed like the best. It seemed like the place that Batman would live and and you know be active, and it. Yeah, it was a good movie for the time it came out. Unfortunately. The thing that lets it down now in in rewatching is uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker, but that is neither Jack Nicholson's fault nor Tim Burton's fault because at the time that's that's you know the image that uh, that they they wanted to go for. Unfortunately, now you know the 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 face of movies has changed and and that's you know a, a better Joker came along and so well. Uh, better is subjective. Uh, different Joker, uh, and became, made it a lot more mainstream, I think, uh, by that performance uh, of Heath Ledger. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I do like this movie. It's just in the subsequent uh, episodes of the franchise that it kind of went uh, a little off the rails. Yeah, and as I, I don't know, you heard when you were 
sorting your connection out and actually made a mistake in terms of which is not unusual of course um it's my one well hopefully my only one mistake of the day um uh, i'd put that um we talked about scissorhands first but of course that came after that right but it, it was sandwiched between batman and batman returns so uh, unless anybody wants to make a point particularly on the first batman film We'll move on to Batman Returns. I don't think we can go through every one of these films that he's done, uh, but I think the Batman ones are standout ones, the ones where he was building his reputation and uh, and probably the, the most widely seen of his films. So right. if I just read a little bit about um, from the wiki page on the Batman Returns and then... Uh, well, I'll slip in here on. first if you don't Certainly mind. Do. Please um, do. You know, I have a very odd relationship with this Batman film because... Uh, I, I respect a lot of things about it, most particularly the casting. I mean, I think this is, uh, although you, you get a little bit of a hint in Beetlejuice, this is where you start to sort of see that Burton is a very uh, sensitive caster, and and, he, and he's starting to build the reputation of being somebody who has a stable of actors around him like um, some auteur directors do. Um, and. You know, Keaton is is a masterstroke, really, as Batman. And I think that Keaton's Batman, in and of itself, is probably better than the Batman of the Nolan films. Um, because there's more layers there. There's more... He's so interesting to watch. You, there's not a moment where he's on screen, as Bruce Wayne particularly, where your eyes aren't just totally gravitating towards him to see what he'll do. Because he, he reacts in ways that are totally unexpected for Batman if you grew up with the comic books or certainly if your uh, impression to that point was Adam West um, and I think I think even if you're working backwards I think if, if your first impression is the Batman of the Nolan films and you go back to see these films I think you'll be amazed really at the interesting things that um, Tim Burton manages to pull out of Michael Keaton um, just really you you can totally believe that he's a fractured man, which I, I don't think you necessarily get with the Nolan Batman. Um, and and yet, at the other hand, I don't particularly like Batman as a character. So I, I'm 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 working from a handicap of, of not being enthused anyway. It doesn't matter what Batman it is. Um, and I think that Burton exaggerates the things that I don't like about Batman. Uh, not necessarily. Particularly Bruce Wayne, but with the Batman character, the whole setup of it, it's just so surreal. And, and yet, that that works against the notion of Batman as the the uber realistic superhero, right? The non super superhero. Um, I I think that Burton's you know heavily stylistic design here just makes everything about that character seem more surreal than it already does on paper. And and so it's a, it's a very, it's a film I go into and it's like, oh, I don't believe a damn thing that's going on here except for those moments of um, where you've got Bruce Wayne on the screen. There it's like, oh, there is a character there that I, I kind of understand, but the rest of it is just 
so over the top. And the the thing I really don't like about this film is is not Nicholson's performance as the Joker, but the way in which the uh, the mythos of the Joker is totally screwed up in, into being, uh, you know, that the Joker created Batman and Batman created the Joker, that they are sort of, you know, two sides of the same coin. That whole thing, and, and of course that the Joker dies at the end of it, really put me off of that movie entirely. So, good casting, but uh, for me, really exaggerated the things that I don't like about Batman. Right. Yeah, okay. And um, Merlin's been putting a few things. Merlin, unfortunately, is not on audio, but um, he, he seems to think I missed Nightmare Before Christmas, but according to my list, that comes out in 93, and we're we're on uh, 1990, I think, here at the moment. 1989 with Batman, uh, but I did get scissor hands wrong. So I'm going to be to dashing off soon, Dave, yeah. so I'll dive forward a few films and just okay. throw a spanner in the works of everybody and say that I actually liked his Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> oh, dear. You can go now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The, the only thing I disliked <laughs> about right it was... There. The only thing I disliked about it was the ending, which was allegedly explained by, as someone said at the time, uh, a postcard in with the DVD. I bought the DVD. No postcard in with mine, so the, the ending's still just as mysterious to me. Okay. But uh, no, I'm, I'm going to disappear off now and uh, get ready for being human in half an hour, and we shall see how this season concludes. Yes, once a good luck with the rest what? of the show, and I'll catch it in the week. Yep, once, well, once a week, Tim becomes human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim, before you rush off there, the ending is actually closer to the book ending, so I don't know if that helps uh, yeah. I'll just have to get round to the book now. <laughs> Quite good, good, good. We always encourage reading here, don't we, Ian? Oh, yes. <laughs> we do. I'll, I'll, I'll need me. something to fill the 11 <laughs> to 12-hour flight to LA next year. There you go. Sorted. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you right, later. Cheers. Bye. So then, um, yes. Uh, so uh, assuming this list uh, is is in order and I'm back on track, <laughs> we're up to Batman Returns here. And um, let's see. Um, of course, the result was Batman Returns, which featured Michael Keating returning as the Dark Knight, and follows a tr a triad of villains: Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Ooh, can I say nice Michelle Pfeiffer? Pfeiffer as Catwoman, oh. and uh, Christopher Walken <laughs> as Max Shrek. Is that Shrek? Right, an evil corporate t tycoon and original character created for the film, similar to Superman 3's Ross Webster. Darker and considerably more personal than its predecessor, concerns were raised that the film was too scary for children. I wonder, I wonder what rating it went out for in the states then. Audiences were even more uncomfortable with the film's overt sexuality personified by the sleek uh, Catwoman's costume. I thought the costume was great. Mm. Um, the, I, I thought the penguin was the rather... Um, the way he had him eating fish, and that was the one that was a little bit grotesque somewhat. The film also polarised the fan base with some loving, some loving the darkness and quirkiness, while others felt it was not true to the core aspects of the source material but made many changes to the Penguin, which would be applied to the Penguin in both comics and television. 
so that's about it. Uh, grows 282 million worldwide, making it another financial success. Okay, Ian. Yes. Um, I mean, this is another one that I liked. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still got Michael Keaton in it, who I loved. Um, I like what they did with the Penguin. I mean, uh, explaining myself here, I was not a huge Batman fan. I had watched, you know, the the Adam West TV show, and that was about the extent of it. Um, and so, to me, this was kind of, you know, basing it in. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can say this a bit of Tim Burton movie reality. Uh, <laughs> where they kind of explain why he's the Penguin, which, I mean, up until then, I've had no explanation as to why this villain went waddling around pretending to be like a penguin. Um, so, it you know, it made sense to me. And, of course, um, Michelle Pfeiffer was just gorgeous, uh, a great Catwoman. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it probably, the, probably the last one of these movies that I liked. Because uh, they got steadily worse from here on out, um, but yeah, this one was a good movie. I I, I did enjoy it. All right. Well, you said Robert's just joined us. Robert Carey King, yes. if you can unmute him. And uh, anybody else uh, want to come back in now? Um, Randa Thor, Mike. Um, not much. I can. I, I, this I've never actually seen this the Batman this particular Batman movie. So. Okay. Well, let me just play another little clip. I'm going to play them out of order because one of th- they started talking about Alice a little bit at this point, so I'm going to leave those clips till later. Uh, this is more of Tim as a director. Presumably you like the Pirates movie as well. Do you as a director, when you see other people's work, do you sit there thinking, that's great, but I would have done this, I would have done that? No, because I know what's involved in making a film, so no, I, I, I don't. I just worry about what I'm doing, and uh, you know, it was great that... Uh, because his success on that made it easier for me to work with him again. You know, I didn't have to, you know. Yeah. But I'm talking. amazed because, I mean, it's a, a remarkable process. And, and obviously when there's big money involved, which there is, for, for people to trust people like you to make something as strange as the films you tend to choose, uh, that's a big risk by then. And yet you guys don't seem that flustered about it. You seem like, I'm going to do this. You have that confidence in your own vision or your own ideas. Was that always the case, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it's confidence or stupidity or just ignorance or whatever, but it's just kind of the desire to make what we wanted. And, and I've been lucky from the very beginning to, you know, from, you know, scissor hands, even though they didn't really want to do it, but, you know, after Batman, I got the chance to kind of just do a low-budget kind of thing. So I've been had the chance to, you know, do the things I've wanted to do. Okay, so uh, hopefully that's more on topic for you, Darth. <laughs> so... Um, as we welcome Robert. Has Robert unmuted now? Yes, he is. Hello, yes, Robert. I am. Hello, everybody. Hi, Robert. Um, uh, you've missed, unfortunately, uh, our little live call-in that we had from Galley, from Samantha Romano, too, having a great time there at uh, the big convention. We're yeah, it sounds like I've been following her on Facebook, so I'll have to listen to that later. Okay. And um, we're sort of uh, progressing through the, uh, the, the works and minds of Tim Burton, Slightly out of order from my mistaking, we've we've gone through Beetlejuice, Scissorhands, and the first two of the well, the Batman films, Batman and Batman Returns. So, um, and h- hence the remastering of shows uh, and and putting Jar Jar Binks in instead of Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's <laughs> not lose my connection for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> stay in school, kids. Stay in school. <laughs> See, I, I'm a big fan of Tim Burton. I, I really am, and. 
And Batman, the first two, um, just kind of finish up what you were talking about on is, um, is very unfortunate that Michael Keaton couldn't work things out with the the third movie because the discussion was that he felt that the villains were getting top billing over Batman himself. So the third one, he wanted to be more inserted, but um, they couldn't agree on that. So he pretty much left, and Tim Burton left, and then they bring on um, Joel Schumacher. And unfortunately, after that, the Batman movies kind of went downhill. So, But I like the first two. I like Batman Batman Returns. and, and yeah, It's always uh, amazed me why they have to have so many villains. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they had a lot of the uh, the Catwoman uh, story, Bat's story to fit into that, and they, they had all the thing about the penguin. You know, is the pram being thrown down the sewers and all that uh, long-winded. Well, not long-winded because it set the scene, but you know, you, you almost didn't need the third villain, the Christopher Walken one. No, they needed just one villain to focus on, and you kind of got that with the Spider-Man movies where you had two villains. Um, going around, except for the third one, you kind of had two and a half villains. But yeah. back to back to Batman. Um, you know, I enjoyed the direction of Tim Burton, and and it was just very unfortunate that they had to get Val Kilmer in the third one. And you know, I felt he was too young, um, Batman, in that. And in the fourth one, you get uh, the cynical one <laughs> in that one, <laughs> Dick. Dick. <laughs> 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 he always referred to. You know, when he, he stresses that first word when he talked to him. But, yeah, um, I, I like the, the the background that they had set up for um, Batman, Batman Return. You know, you had the dark Gotham. And and I did enjoy when they brought it back with um, the direction of Christopher Nolan in the Batman. But, but like I said, I, um, I enjoyed Michelle Pfeiffer and... Um, Danny DeVito, I thought was an actual penguin. I mean, he he was great in that. Well, he, he had the grotesque, but he certainly was right for the part. Yeah, I mean, in the comics, he wasn't as grotesque as he was in the movie, because you know. But you know, I and you know, going on to Edward Scissorhands, that was one of my favorite movies. Um, um, that he was mentioned in in the interview about. Um, it was sad to know that I think it was three months later Vincent Price passed away. Um, I think it was during um, editing or e- either when the movie was out. I'm not for certain on the information, but um, what a character um, Johnny Depp portrayed in um, Edward Scissorhand. I mean, it was it was classic, and the scene too where um, we find the natural ability that he can work with um, shrubs. <laughs> nice That's little uh, figurine. Ah, he was a great hairdresser, too. Tobri <laughs> had a massive comeback in the 80s. <laughs> of course, you got nope. Avon promoted in there. Avon, Colin? Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine someone going to a dark castle selling Avon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, are we All ready right. to move on to... Um, not well, did anybody, well did anybody else want to comment on um, the second Batman movie? I'll just say a couple things. Um, again, I, was, I saw this movie when it came out, day it came out, because it was on my birthday. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it's more, um, takes a tone for the for the dark humor in that, because there's that scene with the, with the, the penguins with the missiles on their backs. 
And um, you know, there's some there's some uh, um, nightmares images like the bit where uh, the penguin bites the guy's nose. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, it, it, I, I didn't mind. I thought it was fine. Okay, uh, if we if you don't mind, uh, Howley needs to go soon, and she just wanted to make a comment on Nightmare Before Christmas. So, uh, Howley, do you want to just throw your comment straight in off the top? Yeah, um, I was going to say this one. I sort of felt had the same problems I had with Edward Scissorhands, of feeling like there was something I wasn't getting, but I think I enjoyed it more because of all the music and such like, which is how Tim Burton seems to work best. Is kind of treating them as musicals, if that makes sense. Yeah, like when you did Sweeney uh, Todd, there's a lot of music in that, and it sort of it carries it along a bit because you can then think of it as just being sort of more escapist, and it makes sense in that way. Right. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, yeah, it certainly yeah. does. Uh, it came out uh, in 1993. Uh, it says uh, that he wrote. Oh, right. I will have to. Where's Wikipedia throwing me a? Line there. <laughs> it says on both my links, 93. Mm-hmm. And the Danny Elfman movie was wonderful, Howie, wasn't it? You were? The Danny Elfman music. Yeah, that was lovely. What's this? What's this? There's something in the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a singer in our midst. Yes, uh, uh, it says it wrote and produced, but he did not direct due to uh, schedule constraints of Batman Returns. But it says 1993 here, so we'll have to check that up afterwards. Homework for everybody. I, think I was one, not 91. Right. Uh, originally meant to be a children's book in rhyme. The film was directed by Henry Selick. Why do they always have difficult names? And written by Michael McDowell and Carolyn Thompson. Based upon Burton's original story, word and char- world and characters. It received positive reviews for the stop-motion animation, musical score, and original storyline, and was a box office success. 50 million, which was uh, pretty good for that sort of thing. Uh, Burton collaborated on Slick again later for um, James and the Giant Peach. Um, So, Ian, back to you again here. Um. I I mean this this is this is a great thing. It always it it kind of reminds me of uh the the old Rankin Bass uh animated uh Christmas stuff uh coupled with a uh a, a stage musical uh and horror <laughs> all in one. And it's lovely because I mean some of the songs in that are just fabulous. The the animation's Wonderful, and and the characters are, are great. Uh, there's nothing not to like about the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, I don't think somebody's probably going to come in and tell me something, but I, I I love it. It's one of the things I still haven't got on DVD yet, but uh, yes, it is on my list. Yeah, in October they released the two disc um, version of Nightmare Before Christmas, so I think pick that up. You might get it in your father Christmas stocking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My Jack Skellington fucking. Okay. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a, a good animation. Um, kind of bring back a little story. For me, I um, used to have a public access um, sci-fi horror movie review show, and um, on my show, I had an artist on, and uh, we uh, reviewed the Nightmare Before Christmas for kind of a Halloween episode. And she drew a, a beautiful 
hand sketch portrait of Vincent Price for my Halloween show, and it was nice. So, um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful movie, uh, minus Johnny Depp in this one. Of course, you know a lot of Tim Burton has a lot of Johnny Depp in him, but um, Jack Skellington, one of my favorite characters in the uh, animation film, and lots of great music as well. Very good animation. Excellent. Anybody else want to come in on this one before we scoot along down the list? Yeah, one comment that I'd like to make is, uh, of course, going back to the whole video game perspective, is there was an RPG on the on the PlayStation, to, the PlayStation called Kingdom Hearts, and the whole idea for that was that it tied in Final Fantasy type areas and worlds with Disney and with Disney worlds and characters. And the Nightmare Before Christmas was a world that you could visit, and you could uh, Jack Skellington and all of those characters were in the game. So that's another way I'm familiar with this movie. And it was it was really great how they worked the the Nightmare Before Christmas and Halloween Town into the story of Kingdom Hearts. And it, it, it's 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 just a really neat example of working Disney just the whole I of course the, my last comment is that Kingdom Hearts when I first heard about it it was a weird idea Final Fantasy meets Disney but it worked well and we had the, the Halloween Town and it was a great example of those characters yeah and our guest 18 Liam says it's a fun game yeah I agree <laughs> I, I, I do believe that Mike and Liam were, were separated at birth even though Mike's a good deal older than Liam <laughs> <laughs> Especially earlier with the simultaneous meows and chat, that was kind of scary, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tony Gallicat. <laughs> yes, Tony Gallicat. And and the two of them both love pie. Yes, <laughs> I love pie. Certainly, <laughs> mm, and pie. Favorite pet catchphrase. I like pie. Anyway, I think that was Homer Simpson came in there. <laughs> yeah, we're drifting. <laughs> Darth. Well, uh, you know, the thing I really like about Nightmare on Elm Street is Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas, is um, that was the, a great the, yeah, right. Is the <laughs> way in which it it's it's its whole development story, the whole way that it, it evolved over time to become what it is, and the protectiveness that that Tim Burton has over the, the rights of Nightmare Before Elm Street. Because, why do I keep it? Nightmare Before Christmas? Because, um, you know, it apparently is something that derives from some scribblings that he did while he was a, an animator at Disney. And he just kept thinking about it and would occasionally go to Disney and say, well, you know, what if we did it as, you know, a 30-minute TV special for Christmas time. What if we made it into an hour thing, television thing? And then finally, after he gained some clout with Batman and other films, he was like able to get it greenlit for an, a, a full feature-length movie. And not only that, but to get it done at Disney. And so there's this even though it's a very dark thing, there's this lovely sort of family feel about it, you know, that, that a guy would return to his roots to make what I think is, with perhaps the exception of Big Fish, his masterwork, really. And that after it was released, uh, well, and, and that 
it's one of the only Disney animated features that was released by Touchstone instead of by Walt Disney Productions itself um, because they were afraid it was a little too dark or whatever. Um, so it, 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 it helped them develop their line as well so that they started to make things that were um, a little bit more adult and a little bit and did more creative things with their own animation division. So it's something that not only grew Tim Burton as a, a director, not only linked him to his own past, but also helped Disney become something bigger than it was as well and got them out of making only sort of kitty things with their Walt Disney label. Um, and then after that, you know, Disney obviously, when it became successful, put pressure on him to do sequels, and he, uh, you know, put his foot down and said, no, it is what it is. You can release it as many times as you want to, and you can make as much money in perpetuity off of it as you want to, but I will never make a sequel on it, and I will never allow the rights to go to any sort of sequel thing, because apparently they were wanting to do something like, you know, a Thanksgiving one and a Christmas one, you know, other other holidays involving characters like this. And he was like, no. Um, and I really respect him for doing that because there might have been some pressure on him financially. He could have made lots of money off of making it into a franchise, but he didn't. And it became something unusual within the Disney stable because it's one of the few, I think it may be the only Disney film that um, at least now in the later half of the first decade of the 21st century um, – that is released every year. You know, Disney usually has a seven-year release cycle thing, especially with its DVDs. But mm, yeah. with this particular thing, they do it every year, and that's that's quite a lovely thing. It's quite a lovely accomplishment. It's just such a it's such an odd and different thing for Disney to do. It's such a uh, and and it's odd for Tim Burton to do this for for a modern director because it stopped ma motion. You know, it reinvigorated stop motion at least in America in the same way that maybe Wallace and Gromit did and Ardman did for the British industry. Um, so there's just a lot of really interesting uh, behind-the-scenes things that go into it, beyond it being simply uh, a gorgeous reinvention of fairy tale that, to my mind, is better than this sort of other major competitor in this kind of subgenre, and that's Shrek. You know, Shrek is just sort of obviously taking fun uh, of that particular of fairy tales and the fairy tale conventions and things like this. And this does it in a much more inventive, much more original way and with a way that actually has sort of a point and a hard edge to it. Um, it's, a, it's a truly astounding accomplishment, one of Tim Burton's very best works. I think Burton yeah. felt that it would have been watered down if it was turned into a franchise and continued, and then the thing would happen where Burton wouldn't be director and you would have someone else directing it. It just it just wouldn't be the same, so you know, hats well, yeah, off to Burton on that. It'd be like a lot of these things, like Aladdin and all that, where the, the, the follow-up one would basically be a low-budget straight-to-DVD one. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> and, and, you know, the other, another little point that I'd throw in here, too, is that the nature of the casting. Again, we see this thing that Tim Burton does very, very well. His, his biggest strength is in casting unusually. And really, there's nobody who's in this thing who is that famous. I mean, they're established actors, but, you know, who's the most famous person here? Maybe Catherine O'Hara, maybe. Um, but she's not super A-list. She's sort of A-minus, B-plus list, you know. Um, she's certainly not really a household name. 
and and that's quite unusual in this era, um, in the Pixar era, where the whole deal is you get in the very biggest stars to come in and sell your movie, your animated movie. And that's not what this is. This is about casting the right person for the right characterization and being done with it. And I don't think that he did that in later films. I think here he gets it absolutely. It's all about the production. It's all about telling the very best story possible. It's, it's such a better film for that. Well, yep, yeah, I think you've summed up that pretty well. Anybody else wants to throw in on that one before... We move on. Uh, I don't intend to try and catch every one of these films, but... Okay, well, let me, while people think on that, I'll play another little short clip. Now, this is does involve uh, Johnny Depp slightly, because uh, Jonathan Ross asks uh, Tim whether he feels as though, uh, basically, Johnny Depp is his his online persona, as it were. Uh, I read uh, a couple of people who work with you, I guess they're the producer behind uh, they believe that uh, the characters you play on screen are kind of Tim on screen, you're like his alter ego on screen, and, and you don't see it that way, is that why? No, I, mean, I think you, as you, when you do something you try to, you know, see, make it yourself, but the thing is, you know, you just put a little bit of that in there because the actors are the ones doing it, so that's why it's a collaboration, I mean, he's the one that's doing it, so, you know, He's got a lot of him in there. There's maybe some things that I feel in there, and you know that's what the artistic collaboration's all about. But do you think that you're kind of acting out his personality on screen at any of the time? No, no. I mean, I, no, not really. I mean, I think you know, I'm basically just trying not to embarrass him. That's my job. Yeah. You know, <laughs> embarrass people. Uh, okay. Uh, right. Can we skip Cabin Boy and go on to Ed Wood, Ian? Yeah, we can briefly touch on Ed Wood. I don't know. How it's no. a, that one's an interesting one. I think we're going to get. 1994, we're up one. to now. So, uh, again, Johnny Depp in the title role. Um, Martin Landau uh, yes. was in it. Received well, an Academy it. Award yeah. for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I personally love this Play movie. Play Bella Lugosi. Yeah, I personally love this movie just for, for what it is. And. And how it celebrates like the king of the B movies, actually probably B movies, but hey. <laughs> but Cult yeah, in collective uh, territory now. <laughs> well, basically, one of the reasons why I'm being brief on this is because there's a a, a, a movie that I want to get to, and I think Darth wants to get to as well before this show is done. So. Right. <laughs> Nevertheless, I will come in on Edward because I think Edward is a very important film in the direction or in the the mapping of his career here because you know it's his first attempt really at something that's real a, a biopic and he couldn't really have chosen a better sort of subject for him um in that ed wood is kind of uh you know the tim burton of his era um although not nearly as talented and although um a certainly a financial failure um the way in which ed wood viewed reality has many commonalities with uh, Burton himself and you know again you have here finally I think um, proof of this whole thing of Tim Burton being a fabulous caster because he does get you know an Academy Award performance out of one of his actors and okay an actor who has been around for a long time who might well have been able to do it on his own but still to have cast Martin Landau in a major theatrical release at this particular time in Martin Landau's career that's a little bit brave um, and 
you wouldn't necessarily think that that's where you're going to get your Academy Award performance yeah. for that year out of. And and what's lovely about this film too is that it 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 mirrors, um, you know, Plan Nine from Outer Space, which is the the big. Uh, you know the worst science fiction movie ever made, or the worst movie of all time ever made. In that, Plan Nine from Outer Space was originally just a horrible flop, and it, it's something that has grown and built, and is a legend has surrounded it. And it's you know truly a cult film. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me we've never discussed Plan Nine on this show or on the predecessor. I don't think um, because it, it is the very definition of cult. Um, and this movie, Ed Wood has been very much like that. It is something that didn't receive a whole lot of attention at the time except, you know, by the Academy. And it's something that as people have gone back to, maybe because they see that it's on the Academy Award list or whatever, they said, this is a really good movie. And there's actually a cult around this film, just like there's a cult around Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, so it's a it, it, very interesting film. And lovely to see Tim Burton at this point still growing, still trying to do new things um, and, and to be in a genre that he's never been in before um, to be in something that he couldn't necessarily control as stylistically as Batman or Edward Scissorhands or whatever, but still managed to create something that was unique using good old fashioned filmmaking Okay, well two points just there if I can come in first of all Ian, it looks as though we were going to have to do a Cultural Collective show on on B movies, our Z movies, yes. and I hope Graham at Geographile Media doesn't think we're stepping on his toes with that. But I think that's something we might have to bring in. And just to yes. say that in about one or two minutes, over at uh, Galley 21, Lewis, Ken, and James should just be about to step on the stage uh, to give their live, uh, uh, their recorded live presentation, 90 minutes, live taping with Georgia Moffat, Andrew Hayden Smith. Louise Page, John Fay, and I believe at least two surprise guests. So we wish them well. I'm sure it'll go down great guns. Okay. And uh, um, also, we I've got another. In tears. Yeah. Also, there's a, another thing I'd like to just quickly mention is that. Uh, oh, and I've lost the page. So talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I meant to bring up at the top of the hour. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, CIA Coltman Audio is no more. Um, it has now been revamped and revitalized, and starting at uh, 4.30 p.m. today is uh, The Random Vortex, uh, So, and it is hosted by uh, West, and he does have a new co-host, and I can't remember his name, so terribly sorry, we spoke the other day, but yeah, that is starting in half an hour, but none of you can leave until we're done with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, should we? I mean, we there's James and the Giant Peach next, but uh, I don't know. The, I mean, if Liam was on on audio, he perhaps want to talk about this. I mean, I'm a great fan of Roald Dahl stories. Mm. Love uh, all Roald Dahl. Um, I, I've yet to see Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is uh, one of uh, my favourite favourite stories of his, and mm. Matilda and all those others. But uh, unless anybody wants to very quickly jump into that. From, from yep. the images of my head reading James and the Giant Peach, it did very, very well. I mean, it played well into into his hands as far as the way he can um, bring things to life like that. And I thought the mix of uh, live action coupled with the uh, the um, then the animation style once you know he boarded the peach worked very, very well. I I I don't think it did it any injustice at all uh, by him 
doing James and the Giant Peach. It was very well done. Right. Well, if uh, Liam wants to type something in, give it a rating, we'll certainly read that out. Um, okay, then. Miles Attacks, do we want? Um, uh, 1996. Based on the popular science fiction trading cards series, or Mike should be able to talk on this then, the film was a hybrid of the 1950s science fiction and 1970s all-star disaster films. Coincidence made it inadvertent, uh, an inadvertent spoof of the blockbuster Independence Day made around about the same time. It had an all-star cast including, including Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, Michael J. Fox, Sarah Jessica Parker, Natalie Portman, uh, that Lucas Haas, Glenn Close, Martin Short, Rod Steiger. <laughs> wow, you think you couldn't fail? <laughs> so, upon uh, first watch, it's fine, but it does not stand up to to repeat watching at all. It becomes very boring and rather silly. Nicholson is the president. How interesting! <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's stupid in it. Um, Annoying. I mean, it was okay for for I for guess, what it was. It's hot right. for what it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, you had Rock Stagger with the, um, you know, the fail safe or the, um, you know, what was the one with Peter Sellers? Um, the one where he um, was in charge. Um, shoot, Doctor Strange. Yeah, or yeah. you know, kind of Doctor Strange type thing, and and then the the solution to the problem of the aliens was, you know, kind of interesting um, for country music fans out there. I won't say what, but... Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was okay. Well, Mike, uh, we're talking about Mars Attacks. Is that the one you want to come back in on? Oh, yeah, Mars Mars Attacks. I I saw that back when it came out, and it was... Well... <laughs> I think the phrase theater of the absurd applies to it because that's exactly <laughs> what it was <laughs> the entire way through. <laughs> I just click your brain off and just watch it. Yeah, yeah. Again, pretty much. For, yeah. For, first go through was, was, was all right, but I think I tried watching it on DVD or VHS or whatever it was at the time, and then I was like, ooh, that's just. Yeah. Actually, you can watch this in 3D. It kind of has. I yeah, can't. I know you can't, but <laughs> I mean, if anybody interested. Um, so what's the point of mentioning it then? Sorry. <laughs> well, for the people that can. <laughs> I have a friend that has a lazy eye, but he says if he can focus, he can cast glimpses of it. But well, yeah, well that's just no reason to hate your friend. Double, affli- <laughs> double affliction, Arian. Lazy father, lazy eye. I don't know. Oh. You're not read out what your son has put. He's given the rating. I know, four and a half. What does he know? (laughs) He hasn't even read the book. So what would he know? (laughs) We got an alley. Tack, tack, tack. Now, now, now. (laughs) Darth. Oh, I got nothing for this one. It's crazy. (laughs) Oh, please say something. No, we've got lots to go through. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I I want to talk about Mars Attack. Charlie. Yeah, um... (laughs) <laughs> and like I said, it, it was one of those movies. Like I didn't see this one in theaters, but I, I rented it afterwards and I bought the the uh, the, VA, the VHS. It was available on widescreen. So and um, it was one of those movies that it's just yeah, it, it, it just it, 
you know, I got it, or just, it just, you know, maybe I'm weird enough because it's one of those movies my brother and I would, would just watch and just laugh all the way through. And even just, I mean, Slim Whitman music is music that is, uh, causes the aliens' heads to, head to explode. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, je- yeah, when I'm calling you. Um, <laughs> you know, Jack Nicholson uh, play, plays a dual role. He plays the president and some Vegas showman kind of thing. And just, you know, and the movie ends with, with Tom Jones showing up in a, in a hawk, you know, hawk lands at his arm. And it's just, it's one of those movies where you think, this, is, this movie is only made for, you know, two people. <laughs> that's it. So, yeah, did you see that? He made the sign of the donut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the international sign of the donut. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving swiftly okay. on. Because we you are... a couple? Yeah. What? Huh? What? Huh? All right. I saw you, lazy. No, you're, no, you're, you're, you're <laughs> in charge. Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Um, and we're back with Johnny Depp, yeah. 1999. Yeah. Return to Vintage Burton, it says. Um, as Ichabod Ke- Crane, is that? I- Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane. With Hollow, Burton paid homage to the horror movies of the English company Hammer Films. We haven't done a Hammer horror film one either, have we? No. Right, there we are. Right, make a note. Make a note, Secretary. Secretary. <laughs> uh, go typing, Michael monkey, Walken, go. Michael Goff. Um, Christina Ricci. Oh. Ricci. Ricci. Hello? The, the, the monkey's protesting. Just <laughs> write, write your own notes. Right. The, the film won the Academy Award for Best Art Direction, as well as two BAFTAs for Best Costume Design and Best Production Design, Box Office Success. Uh, and it was also a turning point for Burton. Along with the changes in his personal life, uh, Burton changed radically the style for his next project, leaving haunted forests and colourful outcasts behind to go on directing Planet of the Apes, which we will talk about in a moment. But I, I my two kids, uh, Matthew and Roz, uh, absolutely love Sleepy Hollow. They were really big fans of that one, I do know that. I, and I almost just caught it uh, because we had the DVD in the house. But... It was impressive, I must admit. I thought, what do I know? I missed it. I've seen the trailer, but they get to watch a movie. Well, I have to tell you, Sleepy Hollow is, um, you know, it's it's something based on material that already exists. And that's a major vein that's running through Tim Burton's work. There's so much stuff that he's done, which is basically a remake of something, even if it's a remake of a, a short story in this case. Do um, you mean reimagining there? Right. I mean, he's the, he is sort of he is sort of the guy who brought us the idea of reimagining on a big scale. I mean, other things had been reimagined before him, before Batman or whatever. But he's the guy who who managed to show people that in fact. A remake does not mean that it's going to make less money than the thing that came before, but in fact that it can make more money. Um, but in general, I don't really like any of his remakes. I think that they're all inferior to whatever came before, um, except for Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is phenomenal. It is out-of-the-ballpark great stuff. It scared the shit out of me, literally. <laughs> and I don't care. I just said it. Deal. Um, it, 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 My son's in the room. Well... Cover his ears. Um, but it, it is really 
the only thing I think that he's ever been associated with, despite being known as being sort of a horror director, that was actually scary. Um, and it's because it's great source material. You know, the, the original work is is one of the scariest things ever written in American literature. Um, it's out of the ballpark, fantastic. And I don't I don't normally say that about really that much having to do with Tim Burton, but this on every level, just great. Didn't Christopher Walken play a villain in that movie? Uh, Michael Goff, yes. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Christopher Walton. He's not highlighted on the script, but yes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he. yeah, Christopher Walken is the central villain. He's the headless horseman. He, yeah, the the way it comes out of the tree and the, some of the effects are re- were really stunning. Yeah. Okay, Mike, this must be your sort of film, surely. We're on about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, is that it? And look, now, look, 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 look. If you're going to come on our show and play video games <laughs> at the same time, I'd be I'm actually loving good at doing both. Uh, put the game to one side. <laughs> We've got Rebellion in the ranks, Ian. Hey, hey. Speaking of drifting. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, well... Charlie uh, and the Chocolate Factory is what I see mentioned in the latest in the chat, and all I'm going to say is I prefer Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the uh, original Sleepy version. Sleepy Hollow, Ron. Oh, I'm just looking at the chat. I don't know. You pay attention. Keep that price of white sound effect on. do 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 You know what? I actually have that, but it's too far down to list, so I won't. It's catching, it's catching, apathy's catching. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so lazy, it'd be an apodem- academic, apodem- I can't even say it. Rightio! Uh, uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, I have no comment, I've not seen it. Okay, uh, Charlie, it's do you want to come in? You haven't yes. said anything. I've seen Sleepy Hollow, and I probably, yeah, I probably consider it probably my, yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite Tim Burton movie. You know, it's it's a, maybe my, my favorite or second favorite, but it just, you know, I know I'm into Hammer horror movies. I'm into Universal horror movies, and it just and yeah, it's it's a very well-made movie. Very photographed well. Sets are great. Johnny Depp uh, plays uh, very. Uh, it's you know that takes an interesting take on the uh, on on the uh, protagonist, and um, yeah, it's just you know it, it's the Oscar for for its sets. Very very um, well-made movie altogether. Okay, and uh, from a remark that uh, uh, Mike's put in there, I just thought to reply, well, if you listened, you might decide that you want to catch those movies. <laughs> okay, well, um, I... <laughs> I'm very aware that we've got an awful lot. I didn't really want to try and catch everyone. I mean, I, I think Sleepy Hollow was absolutely worth the time. Does anybody else wants to make a comment on it before we, we move to um, perhaps a more contentious one, Planet of the Apes? Mm. Let's just skip Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody want to speak up in defense of it? Not I. I'll, I'll only speak up in the de- defense of the ending, which, although it's not better than the Planet of the Apes original movie ending, the Charlton Heston ending, um, it is very much the spirit of the book. Um, and it's a defensible ending in that I, th- I think that Tim Burton has said that he he gave it that ending not only because it was the book ending, but also because it allowed naturally for a 
sequel, and he was trying to protect the interest of whoever, 20th Century Fox, I forget who it was that actually did that movie, but whatever the studio was, it gave them a natural place where they could pick up, because it was, a, you know, a WTF moment, and so naturally you would come back and think, oh, well, there's a, there's a place for a sequel to be, but it is actually a, quite a great ending, and it, it makes sense that it is, because that's what the book offered, really, more or less, although the book's ending is in Paris, not Washington, um, but it's a terrible film. It's it really had a slider it, ending to it, Darth, in it. I, I didn't hear what you said. It kind of has a slider ending. Remember the series Slider, Parallel Earths? No, again, it has the ending of the book. It doesn't have the ending <laughs> of a stupid Fox television show. <laughs> but well, well, anyway, we perhaps shouldn't go right to the end, and just in case people do want to catch you. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, visually, it was very good, but I didn't really like the way that they'd taken it. So unless anybody wants to really stand up for it, um, again, uh, let's move on to the next one. And I don't know how long people want to talk about The Big Fish, but again, uh, the the UK follows where Cultdom leads because today on the five, Channel 5, uh, they've all just finished showing Big Fish, uh, which stars Hugh McGregor and Albert Finney. And that was um, on TV, so they must have known we were going to do our show later in the evening, mm-hmm. as it's, of course, after 9pm here in the UK. Um, it, we're up to 2003, folks. So we're we're on the last six or seven years. So right. we're, we're 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 moving along. I'm I'm Starting going to uh, defer to probably anything Darth has to say at this moment on this movie because I get the feeling that we're probably going to be both on the very same page on Big Fish. Um, I love it. It's yeah. I mean, to put it simply, it is Tim Burton's finest movie. Yeah. Without a right. doubt, without a question. And again, it's because he does things that are um, from his strongest quiver. Um, he, he casts very well, casts people against what their natural type is or what their perceived type is within the Hollywood community. Um, he does something which is original. Right. Uh, so well, I mean, it, 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 it comes from a book. Comes from a book, but I mean, it's not. It, it's not derived from another commonly understood source you know it's not coming from a, a movie that's been made before or from popular comic books or whatever it is something that is fairly obscure because it's it's based on literature that not that many people know about so it's basically original it's just phenomenal right so helena bonham carter who's his wife isn't she uh, she's played in both his worst and his best films you think uh, planet of the apes uh, she was in that. and then a- in big fish and Sweeney Todd well, is in that one. Yeah, I'm not sure it's his worst. His worst film. Well, what I'm trying to say is, if you say that he casts very well, but he casts somebody who's both <laughs> turns out to be the mind you, it might not be. She was actually uh, picked out as being quite good in uh, Planet of the Apes. I think actually, there were quite a few people. That actually isn't she right. married to? Um, isn't she married to Tim Burton? Yeah, oh, she's married. She's partner, but. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter, I don't think, has ever been in a bad role. I mean, yeah. she might have been in bad movies, but she's such an exemplary yeah. actor that I don't... You know, she could be yeah. in the, the the worst crap, and that would still be the thing that you'd want to watch about it. She so, was fabulous in Planet of the Apes. Sorry. Yeah, I think she was actually. She was, she was awesome in that, and right. even though the movie bit... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but but uh, this this story, yeah, this 
movie had me in tears at the very end, and it's just, but it's a, a great ride all the way through, and it's just, yeah. It's the, only, it's the only Danny Elfman score I can stand, too. Really? I, one of the things I hate about Tim Burton's work is that he overuses Danny Elfman, and I just, I just so hate Danny Elfman. But in this one, he's, uh, he's right on the money. It's really good. I think he likes to associate his films with Danny Elfman, like, um, you know, Star Wars with John Williams situation. Danny Elfman is no, Danny Elfman is no John Williams. No, he's no. not, but I'm just saying in his yeah. movies he tries to have Danny sure. Elfman in the sound part. Right. I'm not like comparing the two. Right, yeah. Like any outdoor, there's a stable of people both behind the scenes and in front of the cameras that he, he definitely works with. It's true. Mm-hmm. And he's comfortable. I mean, there's certain um, directors that are comfortable with certain actors, and Tim is comfortable with Johnny Depp. That's why he's in a lot of his his movies. He's not in Big Fish, though, but I like Big Fish. I think Big Fish was um, a very incredible movie that Tim Burton did, and uh, it just shows, you know, in the weird mind of Tim Burton, you know, he can do different things. Right. He, he, oh. You can't Sorry, take I'll, him to one thing, which is what I'm trying to say. In, in that interview, and I haven't got the clip for it, but he was saying that uh, they've almost developed a short, shorthand Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Um, to, to the point of view, he was telling the story where somebody was, you know, on the periphery of a conversation the two were having, and he had to say at the end of about ten minutes, he didn't understand a word they were saying, simply <laughs> because they were they were cutting so much out in shorthand to, you know, what they were they were visualising this story element and um, they were so you know uh, on a, on the same page as it were that an outsider couldn't really follow the, the, the trend of the track yeah. ok do you want to spend yeah. more on the big fish or anybody well, else? I think the consensus is that, that uh, if you have not seen this and cannot comment on it then uh, your homework for tonight <laughs> is to go out <laughs> to your uh, local store and rent Big Fish and watch it. Uh, there's not there's not many movies that I will just tell you to go out right now, put your microphone out and go out and get and watch and and enjoy. But this this is one of them. This is, I mean, this is for me. This is far beyond being a really good uh, Tim Burton movie or an excellent Tim Burton movie. I just think it's an excellent movie. Right. Uh, and it's and when long, I when well I rented it, it and watched it, yeah. I did not know at the time. I mean, as I watched it, I'm like, hang on. Oh yeah, it's Tim Burton, kind of. You know, uh, it wasn't something I picked up because it was a Tim Burton movie. It was something that I had uh, I read the back of and thought this sounds interesting, and and yeah, love it. Right. Okay, let's uh, move on because um, I don't know. Again, we've got another time was short and younger, Dave is yeah. not hot. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. And the wine is chilling. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to go out yeah. and get mine. Uh, yeah, just go into the garden. There's an angel standing there waiting for you. <laughs> oh, right. by the next Dave, one, too. Um, I wanted to bring up something, Dave, um, yeah. personally to you, that um, I found out that John East likes a good um, claret. Oh. Mm, I was listening I, to an audio commentary he did on The Key to Time, the very last one, and they mentioned in episode four in the R commentaries that they were drinking champagne and he was drinking a claret. Right. Mm. Good. Excellent. All right. right. Who yeah. wants to skip Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Me. 
Oh, I know what's Liam. Does Liam have anything to weird? What a weird one? movie. I mean, I'm I sorry, I like Gene Wilder better. I like the Gene Wilder one. Yeah. Gene Wilder for the win. For the win. No, wait a minute. I, yes, I agree. I, I prefer Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is much more faithful to the book, and for that, it deserves some praise. It, that I will it, agree there's nothing. With. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that Gene Wilder is so far ahead in terms of the number of years that he has had to make an impression. Um, that by the time you get to what is actually the better adaptation, you know, Johnny Depp is starting out from, you know, two football fields back, and he can never yeah. catch up. And I really wonder about, you know, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, which of the two will actually be seen as the better film? And I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, I'm sure in our generation and you know, all the way up to people who were already 18 by the time that Charlie and Chocolate Factory came out, that definitely Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory will reign supreme. But I think there does come a point here sometime in the next decade or so where maybe that balance gets skewed a little bit. Yeah, what and it comes down to is which one you've seen first. And, you know, our generation, of course, we saw Willy Wonka first, and this generation saw Charlie, th- this version first. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, the, I mean, I didn't want Mar- the actor that played the Oompa, played all the Oompas. One person. Oompa Loompa, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually quite a stunning piece of film. Um, if you can if you can block out Gene Wilder, which is very hard to do, and and just look at it as a film, it's really good. and the music is good. I mean, like the songs that are in it are really good. I, I think the songs are actually better songs uh, than the ones that are from the original. But you know, you can never get those original ones out of your mind, and so therefore they're just hammering away, saying, "No, no, this isn't as good. This isn't as." Good. But when you really look at it from a technical standpoint. The whole thing is is actually better. I mean, you you do get a better sense, I think, of of probably what was. I mean, I don't know what was going on in Robo's head, what his particular vision was when he was imagining the factory and everything in it, and um, and of course, growing up, the the you know the Gene Wilder version was you know it's like oh yeah that that, that looks about right, and it kind of played on your fantasies of of what you imagined when you read the book. Um, and the reason why I was looking forward to this is to see, you know, how they expanded on that. I mean, being able to do so much more now, and and it does look great. I mean, it is a great looking place. But to me, the original was quite warm um, and inviting. The the chocolate factory was a warm and inviting place, except for that tunnel. Um, mm-hmm. But this one seemed to be almost cold and stark in, in places, and and not as warm. Um, and Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka, while true to being a recluse type character who has had no real contact with people in a very long time, uh, it, 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 it's so much more true to form. But Gene Wilder is just hands down so much better and eccentric than candy than, is dandy, than, than, but liquor yeah. is quicker. <laughs> And uh, Merlin in text he puts he, he prefers the uh, 
what's he put um, far better impression uh, that Wilder makes the remake was horrid my kids saw Willy Wonka first oh and it's Deep Roy that was the actor who played the is it Peking Homongula in the towns of Wang Chiang in the towns of Wang Chiang yeah. ah yeah well done and okay. Diane just says uh, Gene Wilder was uh, warmly threatening while Johnny Depp was cold. Uh, was coldly friendly. <laughs> I like that. That works. Okay, that sums it up. Any yeah, for those listening, yeah, just for those listening later, we do have quite a number of people listening without mics. And uh, I was remiss again at the beginning. I didn't say, just to remind you, if you want to come and join us live, we do go out on Talk Show ID 54821. You can ring in on the number 724-444-7444. And uh, there are also studio shows for you to catch. Well, yeah, I think we need to go on. We've got uh, Corpse Bride, which was actually alluded to a couple of times uh, when we were talking before. My life, wife loves that film. Have right, not seen 2005. It Another stop-motion one. I don't think I need to read anything much out, except to tell you that Helena Bonham Carter was in it, and she has been in the last four films we've just talked about. Oh, Best Animated Feature Film. Oh, no, sorry, received a nomination for. doesn't say it won. I mean, the story is dark, and, you know, Helen played an excellent role and that is the course bride, and of course Johnny Depp. You put Johnny Depp in any Tim Burton. He he was well in it. I mean, as the suitor that uh, gets jolted and taken back to the underworld, so to say. I mean, I liked it. It was pretty good. Well, Diane says it was dark and creepy, but <laughs> sweet and funny as well. I think that's the corpse bride she's referring to. Merlin says, meh, meh, meh. I still haven't seen it, so I'm all... Okay. Well, unless Charlie... Default sceptical. Charlie, do you want to come in? Uh, should we move on? Because we're uh, running long again. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I watched it once, and I, and I thought, eh, it was okay. And I, I haven't seen it again. I, I don't know if I'll ever see it again, but for, you know, for animated movie at the time, it was fine. Okay. Well, unless anybody jumps in very quickly, then uh, Sweeney Tom. Uh, the Dima Barber of Fleet Street uh, and this uh, received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Director won Academy Award for Best Achievement in Art Direction oh, Helen Bonner Carter won an Evening Standard British Film Award for a portrayal of Mrs Lovett uh, and of course this is one where Johnny Depp also in it uh, sings he was nominated for Best Actor Oscar in the role of Sweeney Todd and on the Jonathan Ross show I've not got a clip of it because of course we're focusing on Tim Burton uh, but he did say he was highly embarrassed at an age of 40 to stand in front of a microphone and sing you know on a recording a proper recording for the first time so he found it very very uh, embarrassing and he felt very vulnerable doing it uh, so he didn't really like the singing but um, as Jonathan Ross said he seemed to carry it off well enough certainly well enough not to let the film down Johnny should have got an award for his hair in that one <laughs> again any, anybody I feel as though we ought to get people to speak up for films they really like as our time winds up I was okay with Sweeney Todd um, we it was weird 
um, selection um, that my uh, nephew picked out. We usually do a Halloween thing every year, and that was one of the movies he picked for Halloween was Sweeney Todd. And, and we kind of turned it off towards the end, but then we decided to finish it out and see what it was like. And and it was okay. I, I mean, you know, Johnny Depp in the roles the the killer barber, and um, Helen in the role of um, you know making the meat pies. The pies, yeah. Kind of like Motel Hell, if I've ever um, watched old Motel Hell. Um, what was in Farmer Brown's sausage? Well, what was in oh. her pies? <laughs> I just had a vision there of Ardman Ard, Ard, Animation doing a, a version of this now. After you said that, <laughs> you know, I can imagine the uh, the woman who stole the sheep, you know, making a pies. But um, well, she was making woolly garments. But you know, the 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 parallel is uh, the same. Uh, so I don't know what the rating. I wish to give the ratings on here because. Presumably, it was a, a black comedy rather than an out-and-out -out horror. Or would it be classed as a musical? It's a musical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. Great music. Musical I enjoyed comedy, the music yeah. in it. Yeah. Okay, again, I'm, I'm clutching for people to actually jump forward on these because um, I feel as though if there is anything really that we want to dwell on, uh, we've only got, I would say, in less than... 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes to try right. and bring us to an end. Well, guys, I'm going to take off. I thank you for having me on today. i got some things okay. I do before I go to work. So. Okay. I'll talk well, to you again. Hey, thanks again. We'll talk yep. to you guys later. Okay. Sh is there anybody objects to us skipping straight to Alice in Wonderland? Uh, obviously, we can't talk about it too much, but uh, I've got a couple of references to it. Right. Um, Diane just put in the chat that Sweeney Todd was rated R for graphic bloody violence. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. And Roland wants to know, are we skipping nine? I'd never even heard of this film. I didn't think it was a main one, but uh, it anybody was, wants... Yeah. Mike? Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, just chiming in that, yeah, it was a rather well-received movie. I, I've not seen all of it. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but uh, it was Tim Burton's first animated movie, aside from the stop-motion so it's notable for that reason. But the whole story was... Uh, it was the story of these animated uh, rag dolls. And um, uh, the description here, a sentient rag doll living in a post-apocalyptic world who tries to stop machines from destroying the rest of his eight fellow rag dolls. And they're numbered one through nine. And the main character, of course, is nine. Right. Presumably that was the Elijah Wood character, was it? Was he yeah. There? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jennifer Connelly. I like her. I didn't know she was in it. Might give it a watch. <laughs> you don't <laughs> see her. You just hear her. Rightio. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, what oh, Merlin put in there. Original short story was better for what he did with what he had. Watch that first. Right. Okay. After seeing yeah. the short film, right, so yeah. there's a short film... Shane, Shane Acker. Acker, yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, let me... Um, I've got a couple of clips uh, just to finish us uh, on Alice. Let's see if we can hear the clip of Alice itself. Uh, let's have a look. This is uh, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> it's you. No, it's not! Look, 
This boat is the wrong alley. It's the wrong alley. You're absolutely Alice. I'd know you anywhere. I'd know him anywhere. <laughs> well, as you can see, we're still having tea. And it's all because I was about to your time waiting for your return. You're terribly late, you know. Naughty. Funny yes, yes, of course, but now you're back, you see, and we need to get on to the Fragile's Day. Fragile's Day! <laughs> I'm investigating things that begin with the letter M. Have you any idea why a raven is like a writing desk? That's uh, guest 18, yeah, the, um, I think that, uh, I, I would recognise him as a joke, but I know that, um, is, um, a reference to, uh, j- j- I mean, it's a deliberate mistake on his part there. I assume. <laughs> Certainly the director's deliberate mistake. Mm. Okay. Right. Um, well, let me just play um, uh, one more about... Um, well, does anybody want to say much about Alice in Wonderland? Are they actually looking forward to it? And is it? I mean, I'm sure Darth has already said that he won't be first in the queue to actually go and see it. I'm not too sure I will, and Ian probably won't since it's in 3D. Well, I mean, there's going to be a 2D version as well, but right. uh, at some point I intend to, it's not something I'm going to go run out and, and watch in the theatres, unless the version that they show here has the Doctor Who trailer attached to it. <laughs> um, but that would be my only reason for running out to see it in the theatre. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of a job he does with it, kind of like everything else. Um and I think when we're when we're done, you know, kind of glossing over Alice in Wonderland, I think we'll wrap up by talking um, Tim in general. Okay. Well, let me just uh, let, if anybody else does want to come in, uh, they finished off the little conversation in Jonathan Ross talking about their next project that they're going to do together based on Dark Shadows. Let me play that. And then Tim and I are working on, you know, developing this other thing. That we and this is, this is, is it going to be the House of Dark Shadows? Is that right? Yeah, yeah Dark Shadows. Okay. Yeah, well, now that wasn't that well known over here. No. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a really weird kind of cult thing in the moment. Yeah, it was on TV in the afternoon. It was like a, it was like a supernatural soap opera that, you know, the kid, we'd all race home to see. It was on black and white, like in the afternoon, and it was just the weirdest vibe of any mo- show I've ever seen. Yeah, a gothic soap opera. Yeah. So it was kind of like uh, domestic uh, and, and, and romantic entanglements. And then there was a vampire involved as well, is that yeah. right? Yeah, but in some of the worst camera moves that you've ever seen in your whole life. I mean, and it's strangely, a lot of flies landing on actors' faces and then still <laughs> just trying to act through it. It's amazing. But are you going to try and do that? Are you going to try and make fly, it look? Yeah, we're going to fill the room with flies and yeah. make the actors not pretend that they're there. Okay, that seems to have got some excitement going in the chat room. Sai Bob, I love Dark Shadows. Ran home from school to watch it. Randa Thor, he knows Dark Shadows. So, um, uh, Darth, did you, uh, were you aware of that this was in the works? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally not excited. excited. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, we get another Burton remake of something else, and that really doesn't excite me at all. Not only that, but I mean, this seems like the worst thing in the world to remake into a film because the whole point of it was that it was serial and soap opera and that you immerse yourself into the world of it and how they're going to, you know, give that same vibe when you're making, you know, 120 minutes. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh, zero. In, I mean, it's got like so the worst things for me to possibly be interested in. Tim Burton remake. Uh 
um, vampires. Um, just <laughs> nothing about the film even remotely interests me. Well, I thought, thought it, it was a way to conclude this show that, you know, there's more from Tim Burton to come. I think Johnny Depp said he's got a couple of uh, other projects. He's coming out with um, um, another Pirates, Pirates 4, I think, uh, between these two events and another project, which he didn't mention. So um, There uh, is Frankenweenie, which is in pre-production. Ah, right. But, Randathor, you got uh, slightly excited about this one. Is that one you like? Well, it's one that I, Dark Shadows is a show that I've seen bits and pieces of. As, I, uh, as uh, Merlin put, uh, not Merlin, but Charlie T79 put in chat, it was shown on the Sci Fi channel from 90, from early 90s to through to the end of 2003, and I saw episodes here and there. It was, it was slightly interesting. I, it was, it, it was. If I were to choose a soap opera to follow, it would be that one. But they stopped showing it before I could really get into it. So, uh, Tim okay. Burton's take on it would be—I would be interested to see where Tim Burton took took this and his his uh, remake. Maybe think he might be doing it in black and white. What do you think? That you would be. That? I would like that uh, because black and white just adds a whole new, just adds its own level of dimin- of atmosphere to the, to a movie that color movies cannot match. It, for example, look at the Psycho and the in this remake. There you go. I mean, the, the, that was the, the another plus to me with uh with uh oh god, it's <laughs> Ed Wood. Ed Wood. Ed Wood. Was he did it in black and white and it's like how fabulous was that? It's like, you know, mm. awesome. And does Charlie Page, do you want to come in as we 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 must wrap up very soon, I think. Charlie, do you want yeah. to Um I might see Ellis um, when it comes out, you know, maybe in a week, you know, or a week afterwards. Um, you know, I, um, I know about Dark Shadows. And like I said, I I watched maybe one or two episodes of Dark Shadows. I know they made two movies when they're making the t- TV show. I don't know if they're going to be if they're gonna, if they're going to reference that or not. But you know, if it's good, uh, you know, more to uh, more parts than Burton and Johnny Depp. Okay. Well, Ian, I think, um, I don't know, I'm ready for you to uh, wrap the show up for me now. Okay. I don't know whether anybody else wants to make a comment. And uh, if um, we get out of here, those who want to can go over to uh, uh, Wes's show. Yeah. Um, I mean, just in general, I mean, I, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to kind of in, encapsulating this whole subject but uh, because, I mean, we all tend to know, as Darth was saying earlier, you kind of know what you're in for when you go to see a Tim Burton movie. There's a certain look to it. There's a certain feel to a different kind of another worldly kind of imagery. Um, But I'd have to agree with Darth on he works best, I think, when working with more original material. The the only thing, I mean, uh, Edward Scissorhands, fabulous. Uh, Big Fish, fabulous. Even um, James and the Giant Peach, I, I thought was was great because you know we hadn't really seen anything decent done with that, um, and so where it's something you haven't seen before, you know, working with Batman, Batman was good for what it was, great Tim Burton movie, I don't know. So anybody got any closing thoughts on Tim Burton in general? 
Yeah, one comment I have is going back to one of the first clips that we played from him. At the end of the clip, Tim, Tim Burton was saying, was asking the question, what is weird? And that is what ties into all of his movies, the exploration of what is weird. Right. Good point. Okay, then... Darth? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of losing audio, it yep. sounds like. But, uh, oh. yep. um, Anything in closing about Timber yeah. in general? I mean, the one thing that's important to note, the bottom line. I mean, if we look at his past 13 films, um, which doesn't include nine, uh, <laughs> he's uh, $1.3 billion dollars. Just in the theater. Forget about DVD, forget about merchandising. Just in the theater off of 13 films, $1.3 billion. Um, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good outing for it. It's not the best. There's certainly, If you look at Spielberg, you're talking about much more than that. Um, but for just 13 films, that means about $100 million each time you go out. And that's, um, you know, considering that most of his work is actually pre-2000, that's pretty good. Um, so th- there are a number of people who, who clearly follow the guy. I am not one of them. Um, it takes a lot for me to get at all excited about a um, Tim Burton film, and I don't think I think it's been since Sleepy Hollow that uh, I've actually been into the theater to check out a film of his. So I've not checked out one this century in the theater, but clearly other people are. Um, he. He, for for good or ill, he is one of the major creative forces in the filmmaking industry today. Well, of course, that's one of the things, isn't it? That uh, uh, in in times gone past, people may well have gone to the theatre more regularly, maybe weekly even. But what they didn't see at the film, they didn't see. Where where there's a whole secondary market now, uh, and you can argue a tertiary market with you know downloads and iTunes and all these kind of things. So. Um, I I agree with that. However, I mean, I'm still somebody who regularly goes to the movie theater. It's just that I won't spend my money in a movie theater for a Tim Burton film. Right. Right. Okay. I don't think anybody else else? in closing. And silence was heard. So that must mean it's the witching hour. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, it's been a great show. Thank you all for coming. And uh, thank you again to Romana for her her report. Uh, listen out hopefully sometime this week, and maybe we'll be able to get her in for a studio show uh, and uh, hear more from uh, her experiences at Galley. Dave. Yep. It's uh, no, I'm ready to go. I think uh, I think we've we've done a great show. Uh, sorry, it was slightly long-winded on those films. Hope the clips at least help focus some of the conversation on the... And it's nice to actually hear the director's voice sometimes because uh, the personality can get completely lost behind uh, the films. I mean, Johnny Depp tries to do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm good to go. Okay. Well, uh, all we've left to do is say goodbye. And it's goodbye from Randolph Thor. Goodbye, everyone. It's goodbye from Dallas Skeptical. Goodbye. Charlie P79. Bye, everybody. And guest 20, guest 18, Cybob, Merlin McCarley, Gypsy 7, and DM Walling. And plus all the people who were with us at the beginning, 
but wandered off to do something far more important. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And it's good night from him. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.